0: And welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, aka Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visup Blog and author of a special relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot, also all one word, .com. I make a copy of that book and other works at the Farm's official store, which is at the farmpodcast.store. That is podcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month at the lowest tier for the all-access patrons. In addition to the three to four hours of bonus material you get there, you also get a monthly Zoom party with the crew with exclusive guests and panel discussions and all kinds of other good things like that. And also at least two monthly reports on various things I'm looking at or States of the Union addresses, and frequently there's a lot more than that. Next month, you're going to have your Utah SRA cheat sheet, uh, reflections on the history of Satanism, uh, Satanic panics, and all kinds of other good stuff related to the 19th century occult scene in Paris and a lot of other goodies to look forward to, including a lot of bonus material for our examination of the Society of Cincinnati. It's going to be great. It's going to be a big August, so keep all that in mind. All right. I have got two guests joining me for this sounding one a repeater, the other a newbie. As for the former, he is no stranger to regular listeners at the farm. He is a Frequent guest here, as well as being my research partner, the author of a forthcoming work on the World Anti-Communist League and one hell of a musician. You guys should all check out his uh most recent work, liminal ASAP. It is fantastic. Folks, I give you guys the great Keith ellen Dennis. Keith, thank you so much for driving by in tonight, sir.
1: Wow. That hey, thanks, man. That was a that was a great intro. I gotta, I'll just say you're I mean, just that you just you just listed off all this kind of stuff that you're you're working on you've been at this like what 12 years you're like one of the hardest working people in 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 this whatever business or whatever this is and uh it's my honor to be here with you man giving me the time of day pretty cool man so rock on
0: yeah it's my honor to have you here and uh hopefully we'll have you in at that zoom party man you know i can't really do satanism justice without you keith all right yeah Uh, As for our next guest, I cannot be more excited for his first appearance on the farm. He presently resides in Japan, giving us a unique insight to today's topic. He's not Japanese, but he's lived there for some time, speaks the language fluently, and is more aware of the culture than most Westerners. And he is also a podcaster, hosting the Kingless Generation podcasts. Folks, I give you guys Fergal Schmoodlock. And no, he's not a smurf. Thank you so much for <laughs> dropping by tonight, sir. Actually, I should say this morning, sir, for you in the land of the rising sun.
2: That is correct. Good morning from Tokyo. Recluse, thank you so much for having me on. Keith, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, I could not be more honored and happy to be joining
0: you. Yeah, this is going to be a great one. All right. As some of you may have surmised, the subject of this show is the recent assassination of Abe Shinzo. This is one of the most important stories currently unfolding, which is why I'm making this show public, because trust me, we've got some earth-shattering stuff in this sucker. Stuff you're going to hear on this one is just, it's incredible, guys. It desperately needs to reach a wider audience as there's a near beat media blackout on this event in the U.S. and probably a lot of Europe as well. Anyway, and why is that? Well, the simple answer is that Abe's murder is rapidly turning into Japan's very own JFK assassination right before our eyes. So, what do I mean by that? Well, do you realize that Abe's cause of death is from blood loss and not gunshots, at least so far as what has been acknowledged? I'm including a transcript of the initial report of Abe's wounds from the doctors who tried to save him that Virgo has graciously translated for us in the description so that you guys can see how baffled they appear to be about these wounds. And of course, we'll have a lot more to say on the subject in a bit. And if these statements weren't enough, there's a very compelling video out there showing the actual shooting of Abe, and it certainly does not jive with the official narrative of the shooting more on that in a moment as well, one thing that has come out to a shocking degree that is very interesting in and of itself is the role that the Unification Church has played in all of this. Now, this is a topic we've spent a lot of time investigating on the farm, and we're going to be talking a lot about it in this outing. But a point I want to make at the onset, the Unification Church has undergone several schisms since Holy Father, aka... uh, Good old Moon shed his mortal coil. The main unification church is theoretically under the control of Moon's last wife, good old Holy Mother. One of the breakaway sects headed by one of uh, Holy Father's sons, Sean Moon. The Sean Moon cult is one that we've talked about before. I even did a podcast with Stephen Hassan last summer on this insane outfit. Because it's just incredible. In the U.S., Sean Moon has been making the scene at January 6th, hanging out with biker gangs, performing weddings where the entire party is outfitted with machine guns, and recently procured a compound near Waco, Texas. Yes, the same one that David Koresh set up shop at one point. Basically, this guy is a ticking time bomb, and he may have finally gone off. Recently, Shan Moon returned to Japan, which has long been the heart of the Unification Church's power base. There, he accused Holy Father's Church of enabling the People's Republic of China, called for its destruction, church that is to say, and proclaimed that Holy Mother was going to hell. That went over about as well as one can imagine. It was especially provocative in the light of the fact of the rumors circulating that a holy mother may have in fact died it's probably a big part as to why sean is throwing the gauntlet down now he smells blood in the water this all unfolded on june 29th 2022 about a week and a half before abe's assassination there are videos of this blessed event which will also be included in the links in this description Again, guys, very important to keep this in mind as we dig into this topic. All right. With all this in mind, I'm going to open the floor to the real experts on this subject. To fully grok the change of events, we need to review the legacy, or the significance of these events, rather. We need to review the legacy of the Unification Church in Japan. It's absolutely crucial to post-war Japanese culture and politics that are rarely acknowledged as such keith is gonna uh break this down for you guys then we are going to turn the floor over to our man Fergal and let him explain what's really going on in his country guys this is going to be unbelievable so the stage is set let us get rolling here Shinzo was the most successful politician in Japan uh, for the ruling Democratic Party that's arguably ever had. Before we get into that, give us a little background on the good old LPD or LDP because it's not exactly liberal or democratic, uh, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, let me say something first. Uh, As we're recording this, There's a war going on in Europe, like a war war, like, you know, Russian tanks are on the move war, Uh, like NATO pushing all the way to Russia's borders, messing with its own, you know, energy and food security in the process. And high level politicians are driving an economic war, uh, you know, (laughs) it's crazy. See, you got actual Nazis on the field in Europe. Sorry, but it's true uh taiwan not looking too good either right now um they're debating as we're recording this about whether pelosi should fly out there and how much uh backup she needs to bring with her if she does decide to fly to taiwan that's a conversation happening right now
0: yeah Yeah, Um, apparently the backup includes uh, an entire navy armada or something like that
1: yeah yeah and we'll see we'll see how long that lasts but you know nice
0: anyway it's not good
1: and then for the first time in like 85 years a former prime minister of Japan is getting assassinated. I mean, if if you study the the Japanese empire period, I mean, so one of these groups had a motto one man one assassination. You know, there was a lot of a uh, there was a lot of bloodletting at very high levels <laughs> during the the height of the Japanese empire. So, all I'm saying with all of this that I'm saying is it feels like the 20th century is back. <laughs>
0: you know feels it feels like Wackle was back bro i mean that's like something yeah important. well
1: you know there's there's a lot of side dishes to go with it i guess i guess that's one of them right but it 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 just feels like we're back to the future him getting assassinated has like some ferdinand marcos vibes it's it's freaking terrifying okay so yeah and so anyway so the liberal democratic party um uh, it's important to the story for two reasons the first is uh shinzō abe as you say, was the liberal democratic party, the ruling party of Japan for basically the last, you know, 70 years. Um, Maybe their most successful politician ever, you know? And the second reason is that his grandfather, Kishi Nobusuke, or Nobusuke, uh, basically founded that same party. And what happened to Abe now is wrapped up in that political party and then in that family history. So that's why it's important to talk about, right? So, the short version is there were two main conservative parties after the war: the Liberal and the Democratic parties. Uh, and Kishi helped to merger broker the merger of the two of those in 1954 55. And this supergroup was known as the Liberal Democratic Party. Is to this day became the you know ruling party. And this was what was called the 1955 system, you know. Um, one party rule at least until the cold war was over i think the next time a different party ran the government was like the 90s i may be wrong about that but i'm pretty sure Um, that's correct
0: and it was like only like four years or something like that right or something yeah well
1: it's the it's the the streak has broken but never for very long you know like it's been uh, like two right i yeah yeah, i think so Mm -hmm. not many um so it's japan but so we should say that the the one party thing is technically true but in a way it's kind of a misnomer well, it's, there's actually it's sever- actually
0: it occurred to me it's actually kind of like the PRI in Mexico uh, which actually uh, predates uh even the uh, LDP that would be the PRI which um also effectively de facto re- as uh, ran Mexico as a one party state for a considerable number of years it's it's funny how this um tends to happen in, um, you know, the uh, democracies that the United States becomes especially invested in.
1: Well, yeah, but in, in this case, though, and, you know, you call it one party and, and that's technically true, but they they have like literally seven factions that are like sort of officially recognized within that one party. And they range, you know, it's the center right coalition is the idea, right? So they range from center to right within that <laughs> within that little window that they're in, right? So there's more conservative factions. And uh, Shinzo Abe and his father, Shintaro Abe, were both affiliated with one of the more conservative, neoconservative and neoliberal later on. You know, Abe was prime minister during like the Iraq war, you know, days of like, the middle of the aughts and then from 2012 to like 2017 or something. I can't remember now, but um, you know, he was in office a lot and he's from that that faction. Um, but we'll talk more about him in a minute. Um anyway, this they basically the Japanese business community and the occupation, which you know you almost repeat yourself, uh you know in the early days saying it that way, um they Wanted to have one consolidated conservative anti communist party that the United States could liaison with. And so, you know, Nobusuke Kishi is kind of remembered as being the guy that made the liberal democratic party happen. But one of these authors that I've looked at, Richard Samuels, had said, you know, yes, that's true, but it's probably one of the most over determined events in history. You know, like he wanted it um you know john foster dulles had told them directly you're going to get more aid and more of what you want from us if if you can just consolidate and we the liberals we the democrats you know and and the business community uh wanted the same so so it happened um it was a pretty corrupt uh system there was uh a lot of corruption baked into the cake um So uh, it was the the, the
0: party's a Yakuza faction, uh, which I'm not sure which part of the center right coalition they fit into, though. Uh, All of it. (laughs) Sorry. In one way or another.
1: um, Yeah, I I bet they all they all have their guys, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, one of those. One of those uh, the second you said there were two different governments that weren't liberal Democratic Party. One was in the 90s. The other one was sometime in the 21st century and Hato so they're yukio yeah it might have been hatoyama like, was like 2011 or something is that yeah but I, oh, I found an article saying they'd secured the endorsement of the yamaguchi Gu- gumi and i was like okay mm-hmm. you know
2: <laughs> well he was in the paradise papers or, or panama papers one of the two as well yeah,
0: yeah i mean you even, know i just to like interject here like i mean briefly, sure. and i mean obviously Fergal could probably you know add a lot more to this than uh myself but i mean you have to kind of like remember in japan you know it's not like in the united states you know i mean with like you know let's just say the uh um, you know the syndicate where i mean at least they theoretically have to keep, you know a bit of a, a down low you know i mean in japan i mean the yakuza are pretty like open you know they are up front about like having the you know clubhouses and stuff like that and uh you know, you know i mean they uh yeah. where they wear three-piece business suits when they go out and so forth i mean it's really blatant uh whereas like in america you know you kind of think of gangsters kind of uh working in the shadows more so maybe like operating out of like these kind of small you know like diners or something in back rooms and things like that that's yeah it's just not really i mean how it works in japan or so i've gathered i mean for would you have like any insights you kind of could add to that
2: I mean, I would, uh, there's maybe something to that, you know, I mean, a uh, scholarly book on that topic would be Eiko Maruko Sini book, Gangsters, Ruffians, Yakuza, or something. Um, Jimmy Falengong sometimes talks about that, I feel. I feel like he, that's on his reading list. Uh, but, uh, and so, yeah, there's maybe some unique aspects there. Um, I mean, like, I've I often find myself wanting to like... push
0: back I mean, I've seen like Definitely. photos where yeah. like the entire, you know I mean, yakuza group will like, just kind of come out and take like a group photo together with like everybody hanging out and like, here's the boss and you know, here's like the number two, you know I mean, it's just like.
2: Yeah, you know? I mean, that's a bit in the past. That's a okay, bit in the okay. past, okay. But, yeah. but, and they've been crushed under neoliberalism, right? With neoliberalization, there's been a huge crackdown on that. And that may be one other way that we can understand this assassination. Maybe I should flag that. Um, in general, I, you know, I'm going to be pushing back and being like, oh, you know, this is just a regular fucking country. People are just, you know, and, uh, you know, there's that side of it. I can point out like lucky Luciano, um, who Meyer Lansky, you know, I mean, you have these people in America too, and they, uh, how Howard Hughes, you know, I mean, the, the, um, all of these people are, are in the background of the democratic party and the Republican party as
1: well, of course. Sure. Sure. But Yeah. You know, I read that book, uh, *Yakuza* by Kaplan and Dubrow, that came out in like the the late the latter eighties uh, earlier this year. And uh, oh, okay. I'll have more to. I, I could say a couple oh. things about what y'all are talking about, and I, but I'll save it for the, the part when we talk yeah, about that's Kodama. Interesting. That's good. Kodama in a few minutes. Will, uh, I'll mm-hmm. uh, hopefully remember some of the things. Yeah, I didn't mean
0: to get you too sidetracked. Hmm. Here. Oh no, you're good, bro. You're good. You're right. good. Continue with the LDP.
1: <laughs> well, under this one party you know, rule, uh, you, you've got, uh, there was a book, uh, called occupation without troops, uh, by John Roberts and somebody else. I can't remember. Um, you know, it was the subtitle was wall street's 50 year domination of Japanese politics. I mean, it was kind of tailor-made Lego piece for us, you know, support largesse economic cooperation, like opening up our markets for their electronics and automobiles and other goods um, diplomatic cover, you know, forgiving them, you know, getting on with it and guaranteeing their security, you know? And so in the process, Japan kind of gets its old Asian co-prosperity sphere back, but the U S does the fighting, you know, Uh, (laughs) a really good deal that, that they got. And there was a lot of corruption, you know, But but, you know, Japan went from being nuked and uh, utterly defeated and humiliated to being like a world power in, you know, and it was the Liberal Democratic Party, for better or for worse, that presided over that. And, uh, you know, it's 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 important. Um, uh, Along those lines, there was a a video that I got. I don't know who these people are. Diet Soap, Doug Lane. And somebody named Dr. Cootie uh, Cuba, Cuba Deep State Cuba. I don't know. It's, uh, maybe I'll put a link in your comments. But that guy, the Cuba guy, you know, has a really good gives a really good dissertation on uh, Japanese post-war and pre-war economic history, macroeconomics, and you know how they approached all these different things and actually gets into a little bit of stuff like unification church and like this one it was done after the assassination when people are suddenly talking about all this stuff that never gets talked about but anyway um yeah you can look that up if you're really interested so anyway kishi is the patriarch of this whole thing and you know it would be pretty stellar even without all this uh but You know, his big accomplishment that he kind of staked his whole political career on was making sure to ram through the renegotiation of the treaty with the United States in 1960 that was very unpopular with the left and just society broadly. Because it's like, you know, given it's continuing the occupation, it's giving you know, basing rights, you know, for U.S. troops and the ability to deploy nukes you know stage them on there you know just just people were very against it and and you know through the auspices of folks like Yoshio kodama who we'll talk about i hope in a few minutes um you know he he manages to just get it over the finish line like a moses or something you know and then and then he resigns because it's it's kind of over and people are tired of him anyway and they want to they want something new to happen but that is the other thing that he is sort of you know, Kishi is really remembered for. And so, yeah,
2: A real uh, quick, one real quick detail that phrase "ram through is a really correct description that you see in a lot of places. But just concretely, what that means is actually that they didn't have the votes to pass it. And there was a uh, totally unprecedented in Japanese history, 100,000 person crowd in front of the diet, protesting it. And the police Took the opposition lawmakers, escorted them out of the Diet building, and they proceeded to vote with only the LDP
1: lawmakers present. That's what happened. Yeah, it was some bullshit, is is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Was, yeah, yeah, um yeah. So that was yeah. kind of Kishi's big accomplishment, and it, you know, by the by the 1980s, Japan is like taken over. You know, and there's another book that's kind of the bookend um called Agents of Influence by Pat Choate that just talks about how you know Japan has eaten our lunch. They've got these protectionist trade policies. They've got, you know, they're big on capturing the intellectual property of of um, people that they're doing business with. It's like part of the deal. If you want to do business in Japan and cooperate on manufacturing whatever widget you got to share the plans with us. And so they're 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 capturing technical capabilities during this period at a rapid rate and you know donald trump back in the 80s if you know people that are old enough to remember it wasn't always china 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 you know back in the 80s he was like japan japan they're ripping us off you know he had the same shtick but it's japan instead of china
0: well there's like well, uh, there's one movie that was made was it black rain i think with like michael douglas or something like that, that yeah big into all that stuff
2: the first uh, Japan-related piece of media that I ever encountered was reading Rising Sun as like an elementary schooler oh, yeah, and by like, Michael Crichton.
0: Sean Connery, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I, my jury is out on the true meaning of that whole um, phase of history, but because, of course, right after that, it was all controlled, demolitioned with the neoliberalization.
1: There was a little history of the Liberal Democratic Party for, for context, mm-hmm. you know, Um, Shinzo Abe's grandpa started it, and Shinzo Abe was its most successful politician, and apparently he was killed by a Mooney in 2022,
0: and that's why we're here. (laughs) uh, As you all Uh, will find out here soon. All right, so Keith, tell us about the trio that the uh, great Don Diligent, uh, so Ed Kaufman, may rest in peace, used to call the three amigos and their involvement in the LDP.
1: All right, the three amigos. Yes, um, be some Don Diligent uh, honorary ranting in the, in the future here. Uh, Kishi, we kind of already talked about, but I should also say that he was like the economic development sort of czar of uh, of the Manchukuo puppet state. Um, you know, pre World War II and, and during World War II. I think he came back to Japan in '42 and ran for the Diet. I don't don't quote me on that, but I just said it on the internet. So too late. Um, And he brought a lot of that. That's where he got acquainted with, you know, how politics really works and the money laundering and all that kind of stuff. But also, you know, managing, um, you know, what was a rapacious Imperial puppet state, you know, that was just set up to be settled. Yeah. But also just stripped of anything that would be useful, you know, which was, (laughs) Human capital is a nice way of saying it. It's part of that, uh, as well as natural capital and rare minerals. And, of course, everybody's gold. Um, I read Gold Warriors earlier this year, too. My God, highly recommended. Oh, yes. I, also, I also read the Sung Dynasty about the, the soon family. Mm. And his, the Sea Graves, Sterling Seagrave is so good. It, the, the prose is, is lyrical. It's a page turner. I read Gold Warriors in a weekend it's like a 400 page book or something, you know, it was great. Um, anyway, yeah. So looting the gold, you know, feeding the early golden lily and of course the narcotics, uh, you know, trade. So under, you know, in the manchukuo state in Northern China, uh, Kishi's buddy Yoshio Kadama uh, was running, you know, the world's largest heroin cartel in that area and it was making a lot of money if you get people hooked on opium you don't have to go rob their house they'll rob it and bring it to you and they'll rob their mom too you know what i mean (laughs) so it was just a great way to hoover up um uncle sam can tell you about this too you know uh, they learned from the best of the opium wars they kind of took Mm -hmm. over you know during that period they kind of assumed control of the of no we're getting that money so a great deal of looting um Yoshio Kodama uh, started, starts the uh, Kodama agency <clears throat> on Pearl Harbor Day. Ryoichi Sasakawa sets that up. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, and he's procuring, you know, there's kind of a competition, interagency competition. Dan Carlin can tell you about it, between the, the land and the sea and the air uh, bureaucracies, you know, uh, military bureaucracies, you know, they're competing for, with each other. We need more troops for land. Now we need more ships at sea, you know, uh, we need more planes, you know, so they're all kind of fighting over the kinds of stuff they can loot out of places like Manchuria. Um, and Kodama is there to be a fixer, to make sure that the air, uh, Yamamoto's, you know, the fleet, the ones that just did Pearl Harbor, they're going to need to resupply. And Kodama's the guy that's going to, see to it you know uh after uh the war he becomes kind of like remember i said a few minutes ago the liberal democratic party in part existed because the united states was like we can't deal with a whole bunch of parties just give us one party and we'll just deal with that and it'll be better if we just do that right well kodama played that same role of uniting everybody so you just deal with one face um, for basically the same purpose. Uh, somebody to keep it buried enough, somebody to be the one liaison that Charles Willoughby and, and and the occupation government intelligence could work through rather than a whole bunch, you know, be the Galen or whatever, you know. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Kodama became the the one guy that you deal with liberal democratic party became the one party that you deal with. And what did he bring together? He brought together all of the various organized crime groups, you know, you know, from, from highest, to lowest level and basically said, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're here to fight the reds when, and if it comes to that, we, you know, we got to work together and support each other in the meantime and be under United Front, which, you know, there's some crazy people in some cases. So, you know, somebody's got to do that work. And he did it. So then uh, Yoshio Kodama talked about him, talked about Kishi. Sasakawa would be the other amigo. And he's the, the, the mercurial wild card of all of it. He's the guy that reinvented himself into ever higher spheres. Uh, throughout his entire life which lasted 95 years almost you know he's born in the 19th century and died in the 90s so he saw all of this you know um he was with he was on the the Yamamoto pro-navy faction before the war that's why he brokered getting Kodama to set up the Kodama agency to make sure Yamamoto's people got what they needed but um he is the guy that's sort of credited with uh, flying to to see Mussolini and, you know, do the meeting in person that kind of brought Japan into the Axis. That may be a low resolution way of saying it, but that's how the history books portray Sasakawa. Um, he's, he, he helped set that up, which is no mean feat. Um, he was doing a lot of the looting golden lily and stuff and a lot of that was you know again military material uh, procurement but but not just that you know and after the war he gets uh the japan motor boat racing association i can't remember the name of it exactly but it's basically like a state-run gambling monopoly on motorboat racing that the money is just gambling money that goes uh to the state and it's used for political campaigns it's used to run the LDP <laughs> you know we need a casino uh we need a we need a betting track to help you know raise money and, and, and a portion of it Sasakawa got to keep and he also uh really became like the the chief shipping magnate uh the motorboat racing thing became the Japan Shipping Industry Foundation later on and then I think the Nippon Society or the Japan Society, but. Um, on
2: that topic, it's uh, it's it almost functions sort of like rotary or Kiwanis club or something. In a yeah. local neighborhood, you'll see a building that, like, for example, there is a building uh, that I sometimes see that it says in front of it, nobody does anything in this building. It's one of these buildings that mm-hmm. you don't see people in it, but it says Japan Pharmaceutical Approval Association or something on the front. And it has okay. this badge which you see around town with the logo of Sasakawa's motorboat racing foundation and oh like universal brotherhood, peace on earth. And it's just there. So wow. You'll see that a lot of
1: places. Yeah, they got statues. They helped of him build the carrying building somehow. I don't know. No, he, mm-hmm. he he gave a lot of money out and got his name all over everything. And you know. Became buddies with Jimmy Carter, and helped cure smallpox, and got the Helen Keller Award and the Linus Pauling humanitarian. You know, he he uh, became this crazy philanthropist like the, what the Seckler family or something over
0: here. Or something like that. But that was were, were the ones who were like really put a lot of the money for the Oxycontins, writer, um, right? Or right.
1: Well, anyway, know. so Sasakawa is, is just kind of like a legendary figure, but he was, you know, these are the three amigos, as Don Diligent would have it. Kishi, Kodama, Sasakawa, they all do time in Sugamo prison together. They all get released as this depurge. purge um, all hands on deck. The Communist Party numbers have exploded in Japan during the post immediate post-war period. And the Korean war is about to happen and a bunch of people in Washington know that the Korean war is about to happen. <laughs> anyway, it's all hands on deck moment. So there's just like over in Europe, a bunch of the, the Nazis, in this case, the Japanese versions are led out to now fight for the good guys. And those guys were, you know, three of, three of the, some of the most important people that did time in Sugamo prison and later on, you know, went, to become leaders of the Japanese state in one sphere or another. Sasakawa was the financier. He was the money guy. Kishi was the money laundering guy as it interfaced with LDP politics that he was a boss of. And Kodama was the, the, the mob guy. And going back to, you guys were talking about Yakuza and stuff. I'll say this, you're talking about, you know, Lucky Luciano and whatever, well, that's the Sicilian Mafia in the United States. Maybe a comparison of the Yakuza with the Sicilian Mafia in Sicily might be better. When I read that Yakuza book, mm-hmm. it really talked about that being a storied, you know, historical uh, tradition. It's a part of Japanese culture. It's indigenous to Japan. It's not, and organized crime. You know, define define crime. You know, you know um you know in like oh, i won't get into too much of how that parapolitics business and getting all theory on you but yeah you know it's not like well, maruko a,
2: from, uses the term "violent specialists you have violence they're handing out baseball and...
1: cards you know they're yeah. they got movies made about them they, like like westerns or something you know what i mean they got um it's it's right. just a whole qualitatively different thing and it's real I remember after the, I read something when I was researching for that Saskatchewan episode that, um, after the Kobe earthquake, 1995, the Yamaguchi Gumi show up and they're just trying to help, you know, cause people are dying. They're crushed in buildings and just no water, no food, whatever, you know, and they showed up with brigades trying to be, you know, go to the best side of their, their ancient or whatever kind of, um they're showing their best face in the folklore they're not always like bad guys or whatever a lot of times they're kind of heroic you know the portrayals and the culture right so they're showing their heroic side and and helping during an earthquake so it's just in the late 19th
2: century in the late 19th century the 1890s there was this people's rights freedom and people's rights movement which was mm-hmm. agitating for the creation of a constitution and for a diet that would be able to do more than just approve the budget right? right. that the cabinet decided, um, which, they, which did not happen. Uh, but a uh, big force in that were sort of local uh, c- countryside kind of uh, these people called kilkaku, people who had uh, access to networks of uh, r- resources, but, and also the ability to do violence so that's that's kind of roots of the yakuza that's that that kind of robin hood image
1: yes the the the, and the specialist in violence thing you know you're making me remember something i also made a note to myself to bring up when i got to do my bit about the three amigos was that um that thing we talked about with ramming through the security treaty uh in 1960 that there was something A lot called of
0: the, the mob that they brought in were connected to the Yakirs, are correct? Oh, hell yeah! Yeah. And, yeah, and also trained like 20, at Atsugi, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: absolutely, trained at Atsugi US uh, military base in crowd control techniques as oh, well. Shit. But yeah, uh, okay, okay, good. No, they, they uh, what was it called? Nippon Aikaigi? Uh, no, Zen Aikai was like the All Japan Federation of patriotic societies. This was the group, the super group that was the one ring to unite them all, you know, of the Yakuza that Kodama was the biggest part of, you know, like if, he, if his job was to um, keep the, the criminal underworld under one world or whatever, you know, then, then this federation that they had set up was the vehicle for enforcing that rule. Right. And it was sometimes in the Yakuza book, they said it had a nickname, which was Yakuza Aikai, like the all, all mobster federation, you know, instead of the all mm-hmm. Japan. Um, so pejoratively, it was known as a Yakuza thing because that's what it was. It was just like a, a, a Yakuza super group um, council. So through, the, and that started in like 55 or 56, right? Right around the time, you know, that the LDP is getting going, the 1955 system. These guys are going to be the muscle and the muscle gets deployed to the tune of some 20,000 you know participants to break up that hundred thousand person uh mob that you were referring to fertile a little while ago Um, right yeah so I wanted to get that in there about Kodama it was a shit show but it was our shit show (laughs) (laughs) I think it went pretty much how we wanted yeah so Much I, I like guess the that's Christian Democrats enough. in Germany. I mean, that's another comparison point you could make. You know, I was going to say that, and I, I missed it. But you're you're right. It was like this is going to be the answer to the, the this going to be the Christian Democrat uh, party of East Asia for Japan. You know, it's you know it's conservative, but not too conservative. You know, but uh, just like over on the other side of the world with the Christian Democrats. I'll go back to Abe for a second because you're jogging my memory about some things that we probably shouldn't fail to mention about the man, you know, neoconservative, neoliberal, all that good stuff. But he uh, made a lot of waves overseas by doing things like visiting the war dead shrines and saying things like kind of somebody had characterized it as basically like slut shaming the comfort women, you know, uh, (laughs) Uh, or or, or otherwise, just sort of downplaying that. And it's, it's just kind of like basically the Japanese version of Holocaust denial. I mean, it, it's the best it's way. Same kind
2: of vibes as really the recent paper by the Harvard Economist, right? I forget his fucking name, but it, it was something like, you know, the comfort women were just uh, entrepreneurs, you know, aspiring, uh, plucky go-getters. Oh my God. You know, just well, working on the well, free well. market. Ugh. Um yeah, and he was but- citing things that were totally saying that, you know, they they tricked these 12 year old girls into doing this, you know, his actual citations were totally off. Yeah.
1: Yikes, yikes. Yeah, that kind of stuff didn't didn't win him a lot of friends uh, with that. And also um, there's a picture of him somewhere that I'd seen on the Internet that has it's it, it caused a big row. And I read it in some. A Japanese newspaper online. I don't remember what, but uh, it's a picture of Abe sitting in the cockpit of, is it an F5? I don't know. It's one of these trainer jets. You know, I think the ones that they were using as fake Mig's in that Firefox movie with Clint Eastwood. I don't know. Don't quote me. But it's one of those planes. It's it's, it's a jet fighter plane, right? And he's sitting in the cockpit, giving like a thumbs up. And it's got his name emblazoned or, or uh, painted on the side of the cockpit. Because it's his plane and underneath it the call number or whatever the the unit number for the plane 731 right under the cockpit man Shit. and so everybody you know in korea everybody knows what the hell that means they're like are you kidding me abe hmm. you're gonna put 731 as your no, number like those of you
0: like unfamiliar it's unit 731 the infamous uh, japanese uh bioweapons uh, outfit that um I was brought into the fold uh, by the U.S. security establishment in the post-war years. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the Japanese paperclip. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so you know he uh, he was unpopular among some people. There was a lot of memes, a lot of mean memes. Damn it, that uh, went around about Abe <laughs> after after that happened, and I got to see a few of them, and it was it was a glimpse into what you know other people around the world thought of the guy i don't think it's a unanimous thing that he was great you know <laughs> no right anyway that's probably enough about the three amigos man
0: you guys. all right well oh, finally keith let's get into the unification church then it's oh, big boy. in japan to quote tom waits uh the unification church has more members there than anywhere else in the world Inevitably, it's where most of their money comes from. And the UC has long had a close relationship with the LDP, a relationship brokered none other than by Ebe Shinsu's grandfather, Kishi Namabusuke, which we've been talking so much about already. Keith, can you elaborate on this relationship first, please, sir?
1: Yeah, so the assassination was crazy enough. Like I said, Archduke Ferdinand vibes, you know, big time. Like and the guy was kind of like, well, he was he was sort of vaguely pro Russia or you know he wasn't like a hawk on Russia like you're supposed to be if you're in the American camp, and he even no. said he even said you know that Zelensky is a little bit to blame for the war, which is a yes. big fat no no right, yes. you know so there's a war going on and only friend Russia is probably likely to have I don't know you know uh, just got whacked in broad daylight so that's mm-hmm. crazy enough that's already crazy the real crazy part is hearing talking heads on the radio or tv say the words unification church out loud like what you know (laughs) because you know we talked a bunch about it right we did our whole wackle series i never would have even heard of these guys uh without looking into the right-wing side of the world order as uh mr john brisson would call it uh I sure as hell didn't hear about it from Alex Jones or William Cooper or any of the conspiracy guys. There's no John Birch Society expose about the Moonies. You could imbibe conspiracy culture your whole life and never know they existed.
2: And but, you could you know, imbibe anyway. uh, Japanese scholarship and, and hardly know they existed. I saw uh, modernists, colleagues, just uh, have to start scrambling to explain it. And, and they're like, oh, it's, it's a South Korean cult. Wait a minute. That's uh-huh. all they know about it.
1: That's easy to say, isn't it? Yeah, it's a South, it's a South Korean guy. And, uh, it's better to think of it as a Japanese thing. That's the, the verdict of history. And you know what? It sure as hell is the verdict of history now because the reason why the talking heads are saying Unification Church is because a disgruntled Mooney is the guy that did the whacking with what looked like a Fallout video game like pipe pistol. What the hell? <laughs> like I'm sorry, yelling Pons over there. That was pathetic, man. Uh, but yeah so so now everybody's like talking about the moonies and it's so weird for guys like me and probably you recluses is like for me it's ancient history like i know there's stuff with the rod of iron and i know there's things you know going on and mike pence and dan quayle are hugging it out at the freaking mooney conference last winter and even donald trump is going and bending the knee just like all the republicans have for the past 50 years bending the knee to the moon people uh not even donald trump could could escape the pull of the gravity of the moonies but for the most part they peaked in the 80s you know they peaked in the 90s they peaked with the bush dynasty and and for me i'm studying wackle. you know it's kind of like it's just the where are they now story after about 1990 so i just look at them as it's just a historical thing that has been memory hold you know the republicans are too ashamed to talk about it the Democrats are too cowardly to talk about it. And the media is just like squirrel, you know. So it just, it's just like, you know, you sound like a crazy person ranting about the damn Moonies and how important they are to, I don't know, the growth of the conservative political movement in the United States. I mean, that's pretty important. But you, you sound like an, uh, a jackass when you're trying to tell people it's like, yeah, he, he said he was Jesus and America was uh, Satan. And, <laughs> you have all these little mind control followers and people are like man get back away from the bong you know that's that's the attitude you get but anyway the moonies the moonies and the ldp let's talk about that um all right so nobusuke kishi well first let me say this three amigos important to talk about because they all come up in the Mooney story okay Uh, and the LDP. And to some extent, it's almost like I repeat myself. Um, It's through Ryoichi Sasakawa's good offices that the Unification Church gets started in Japan, imported in the first place. So that's like 1958. Um, Around 1965, uh, the Moonies are... really growing in Japan. Um, They arranged the mass conversion of some 50 leaders of a a nationalist Buddhist sect in the Nichiren school, the the specific name of which I don't remember right now, but the guy that was next in line to be the head of that Buddhist sect in Japan, Osami Kuboki, uh, chooses a different path and converts along with some 50 other leaders in that church to unificationism. And the unification church was called Jinri Undo in Japan, you know, at that time. Right. And around 1965 or 66, really at the base of like Mount Fuji at one of Ryoichi Sasakawa's motorboat racing courses, they had like this smoke filled room thing where they planned out and sort of inaugurated the Mooney political arm which was called Shokyo Ringo, or victory over communism. Uh, Kodama and his lieutenants are in the room. Sasakawa's was there, Osami Kaboki is there. Uh, some kind of Japanese right-wing ideologues uh, that are doing youth education against leftism and whatever, they're, they're part of this thing. And it's gonna be a youth movement. And part of it's just to like head off the, the growing head of steam of you know what would be 1968. You know, it was a pretty rough year for the world, a lot of protests. This was the year that the left kind of died. (laughs) I mean, maybe not really, but it was a a mortal wound all over the world. So, and Japan was not spared, but you know, that's what you got the Yakuza Aikaegi for if they get too unruly. Uh, And also, you have this basically kind of like a Japanese Young Americans for Freedom. You know, activist uh, group that would be aggressively anti-communist. Um, they also provided like free labor to the campaigns, the candidates, the the uh, the politicians in the Liberal Democratic Party, and they worked really hard. <laughs> they they worked really hard. They were really good, faithful workers because they were like in kind of like a a brainwashed cult. So, you know, they were just kind of wind them up and let them go, you know. Uh, And that political cultism uh, gets transferred to the United States starting about 1970 with something called the Freedom Leadership Foundation that was part of the WACL American Council for World Freedom supergroup that was an organization of organizations. Well, this freedom leadership foundation was part of that. And they started spreading political cultism of that variety in the United States. I'm digressing, but I'll come back to the liberal democratic party part of this and I'll go back in back to the sixties or whatever, but just real quick, uh, the whole thing with the moonies in the United States, like I wouldn't care, uh, It's just a Japanese thing. It's a South Korean cult or whatever. Okay, if it's a state over there, like who cares? It's not. Who has a good reason to care about the Moonies? You know, in the United States, like you know,
0: just like weirdo nerds like me or whatever. Moral majority.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, but it's 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 not about uh, the Moonies themselves or any kind of Japanese new religion. It's about what did the Americans do with it. How did they weaponize it? How did they turn it into a tool? You know, it's it's That's the really Americans important. I have a problem with. It's the Americans that are the problem. You know, uh, really st- lit the fuse for Trumpism, lit the fuse for QAnon type stuff. You know, yeah. Moon was I mean, a prophet. You know, Moon was kinda, a prophet with a side of politician. You know, we should okay.
0: point out here too. I mean, with um, some of the stuff Don Dillage had been working at, I mean, he firmly believed that uh, the origins of the Moonies really did reside in uh, the Korean War and just uh, some of the, uh, frankly, the research that we were doing on the uh, brainwashing mm-hmm. was being conducted on both U.S. troops and uh, their Korean counterparts. Um, you know, this is a big part of the whole saga of the origins of the Moonies that's never really been told. But, um uh, you know, again, just to sort of point this out, I mean, from very the beginning, there's been this element of the United States in this To kind of give some people some insights into like how a cult would achieve this sort of like influence. Um, you know, again, this sort of goes back to some of the things that were being looked at in the Korean War and uh, the aftermath of it. Um, and again, you know, we uh, we were somewhat disturbed by how the troops uh, were reacting. Uh, we were coming back from that. And, well,
1: yeah, we got to close the brainwashing uh, gap with the Reds. Yeah, I love
2: this emphasis on uh, the possibility that psychological warfare partially originates in the Japanese empire. And um, I really like, so in in bourgeois scholarship uh, from modernists, you know, talking about tenko, for example, if you heard this term tenko is like changing your orientation or whatever, right? Ideological conversion. And that was the the strategy was to keep people uh, confined and ask them to commit publicly renounce socialism and write that it was really important that they write a personal narrative of their life and how this is why I have renounced this. And many of these people go on to uh, become prominent, not many, but some become Mm. prominent right wing uh, operatives and even like kind of deep state operatives. Right.
0: And this was something and, that, um, um I, you know, just going to, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt you there, for a little, but this was definitely something very much um, in terms of psychological warfare the Americans were looking yeah. at. I mean, it was it was resisted by a good chunk of the, of the uh, military and even to some extent the intelligence establishment uh, in the immediate aftermath of the oh, okay. Second World War, just as the uh, the Cold War. Oh, uh, the aftermath. But again, psychological warfare was generally kind of looked down upon, especially by the military in this period. There was one guy, Edward Lansdale, um, who was really fascinated by uh, what the Chinese were doing, the communist Chinese specifically, and this this real emphasis on political warfare. Uh, There you go. And Lansdale, the the reading group, was the um, you know the guy who really oversaw the Philippines, the first major counterinsurgency operation. But a thing that I need to like kind of emphasize is that Lansdale developed, I mean, full blown uh, political cadres uh, that were used, and this is something that still continues to this day. In fact, when you look at the U.S. Army Special Forces, and this is something that really you know originates with Lansdale, there's actually three branches to it. Uh, there's the Special Operations Forces, which are like the Korean Berets and the Delta Force, and you know all this stuff that we usually think of when we think you know, of special forces. But there's a the second branch, which is the Psychological Warfare branch, which is actually considered a special operation in the military and not an intelligence function. And then finally, there is the Civil Action Committee, and this is essentially a political cadre, and what it is comprised of is essentially ex-military personnel that are used in, quote-unquote, hearts and minds, campaigns, and other things to spread psychological warfare, and this was directly modeled on what Lansdale was seeing with, like, the Communist Chinese and so forth. So, again, this was like... Baked in very early to uh, the approaches that the U.S. was looking at just as Korea was really breaking out. So anyway, for, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think it's important that people understand. Not at all. This was looked at for this has been studied for a very long time by the U.S. And but you it, mentioned, was, is, did uh, you say so it was we, post-war, though? Post World War II, like actually, yeah, really just as the Cold War, because the uh, Atlanta, I think, got going in the Philippines around like 49. So, yeah, just as the uh, Cold War was, yeah, wow, Philippines. Going. so yeah, well, so
2: what I was talking about with Tenko is happening in the 1920s and 30s, and um, so there is this relationship, and I, I love the way that Jimmy Falun Gong, for example, talks about uh, Tenko as a type of brainwashing. Because it makes that connection. Well yeah, it comes later. Yeah. I really like that. And it's and that stands in distinction to a lot of uh, academics who are trained to think about this very much in terms of like, oh, this is fallible human nature. you know, you just start trying to get involved in politics and make the world a better place, and you naturally will just become a fanatic or something. No. The technique of making people misdirecting them. Turning yeah. them into these fanatics is something well, that the establishment is very carefully cultivated. Uh, and Japan has this really interesting role in that, I think.
1: And so when you say 50 leaders of this Nietzschean Buddhist sect suddenly convert, like, well, what do they do to them? You know, <laughs> <laughs> lock them in a closet and feed them donuts for like a week and a half, you know, and You're like, just all just right, ready to Mooney or what? I don't know about that.
0: I mean, we didn't even. I mean, that, that may
2: just know. be they were already very cooperative with the. Uh, uh,
1: right-wing cause
2: and they just said for the right-wing cause this is what you should now embrace yeah i'm just
1: saying that that it sounds you know th- this would you call it Tenko. it sounds familiar right mm.
0: uh yeah it sounds yeah. like
1: you know had things had mommies and daddies crying in court give me my daughter back in the in the 70s uh from the <laughs> yeah. from the depredations yeah. of the moonies on united states society that mm-hmm. the conservative movement enabled and supported and it's, uh, it's connected, you know, one of the things that you can look back now, and especially now, uh, you know, you got to see, you got to get away from the whole idea of a, oh, you know, it's just South Korean cult, South Korean guy. Like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But like, to this day, most of the money, uh, that the church gets comes from Japan. Most of the membership is from Japan. They're, they're probably their biggest power base in the world is in Japan. Um, Moon and Bohipak themselves were saying this back in the 80s and 90s, you know, in in live testimony, they were saying this, Um, you know, they claimed to have gotten a lot of money from Sasakawa that Sasakawa later denied having given them. But, you know, he freaking did, you know, come on he gave he gave money out to everybody. And Sasakawa presided over the largest uh, World Anti-Communist League conference in 1970, Tokyo. Uh the reason why it was so big is because they built a really big, big mass movement of like YAF Japan version guys in Japan. And so they all got tickets and it just became the biggest, most well attended, blah, blah, blah. And you know, we talked about this in the Wackle series about Sasakawa getting up there saying, I'm the doctor and I'll apply as hard of a treatment as I have to on you communists, because I know you're in the room with us right now, just like threatening everybody. It's crazy. <laughs> um So the three amigos were very uh, tied with the Moonies and you have KCIA connections for sure. You have the cultural offensive, you know, of the little angels and Taekwondo coming to the United States in the 50s. You have the Korean Cultural Freedom Foundation and like folklore dancers and, you know, these these kind of kind of cultural offensive in the United States. Um, But a lot of that was a Mooney front. They were even kind of undercutting APACL uh, (laughs) with their fundraising stuff, like misdirecting and making people think it was going to APACL, but it was really going to the Korean Cultural Freedom Foundation, which was a Mooney front and a KCIA front. So there's always, you know, you can't discount. I mean, Bo Pak is a KCIA agent. He's the military attache the United States from, from South Korea. Wow. It's big lightning. It's getting ready to rain here, boys. It's monsoon time. Um, right. Yeah. He, uh, you know, you know, so that there are Korean connections. Okay. And, and they, and they persist and the KCIA cuts a $2 million check to the heritage foundation in like, as soon as Reagan takes office, you know, it's like an Amuni adjacent sort of thing. So there's all kinds of connections all over the place with all that. but like the point is, okay, we won't discount it. Sure, it's a Korean thing. There's clearly a lot of Korean involvement in it. But who's doing the heavy lifting? You know it's it's Japan. you know, who's it working for? Most Japan, you know um, Who's accruing the benefits of uh, the Moonies coming to the United States in 1970, as I said, and immediately setting up like a pro-vietnam War. Um, pressure campaign, PR campaign, lobby. You know, Japan made a killing off the Vietnam War. (laughs) They didn't do too bad in the Korean War. Um, When I said they're establishing, reestablishing the East Asian prosperity sphere without firing a shot, you know, that included wars. And this is what I'm talking about. And yeah, uh, Japan didn't send troops. I mean, Korea did, but, you know, Japan had a lot of side and direct economic benefits to that war going on so did they want it to keep going sure you know um so if you think of the moonies and just do like a search find word and replace and say korea and then replace it with japan some things make a lot more sense when you're looking at the history absolutely of Understanding that structure of the
2: Japanese empire, I think, is key because uh, post-war sort of image, you know, sort of man on the street, uh, common picture of that is, is very different from the reality, which was that since 1910, officially, all the way through the end of the war, Korea is annexed to Japan and they're actively pursuing a cultural slogan of Naiseng Ittai, which means uh, the mainland, which they call, they were calling Japan, the the mainland or the inner land, right? Not Japan, and mm-hmm. Japan and Choson, which was the name of for Korea at the time, um, from the Choson Dynasty, right? Uh, are one called, and they were pers- doing all kinds of cultural exhibitions and stuff, funding friendly Korean. Uh, cultural things. you know. This, this is a structure that goes back to the wartime. And then Japanese and also often Korean colonists, uh, as a familiar kind of pressure valve from the overcrowded industrial cities, would be sent to the frontier in Manchuria, where Kishinobusuke was managing a uh, settler colony that was explicitly modeled after the American style, Wild West kind of colonization.
1: That's really interesting, man. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Uh, Virgo, did you have anything else to add before we get into the assassination proper? Or Keith, did you have anything? That's about it. Okay.
1: Uh, You know, I could, I just want to say all the stuff I'm talking about here. I just want to dedicate to Don Diligent
0: yes 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 and yeah. uh and also I'm, i should this probably is my out, um, i'm giving
1: him a little bread to yeah. a little something Where? to eat on in the spirit world wherever he is this is for uh, you don
2: green tea from me here
0: Also, uh, so yeah to, uh, to point out too to people listening to this who may not have been uh, familiar with don he was a uh, defector from the unification church so i mean he had um a very intimate knowledge of the inner workings of the church shall we say so um you know this is like another thing this wasn't you know somebody who was um uh studying this from afar shall we speak
1: yeah
2: yeah he yet was... he had read thousands of pages of documents he had read decades and decades of all these journals Mm-hmm. So, just an amazing researcher.
0: Uh, yeah, Don had um, just insights into the Unification Church that probably no other human being will ever have uh, from his combination of his you know, decade-spanning membership and uh, the extensive research that he had done in well, his virgins, but, but um, other say we... high-ranking church uh, officials. I'm
1: sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Were, you are were talking about Don Diligent. I'm like, you know, pushing here. So let me say one more thing before we move on. There was a an article that came out like July 10th Um, and I printed it out and and it's from the Shingetsu news agency. I'll put a link in the doobly do. Yeah, this is a, it, it was called the crime that killed Shinzo Abe. And it's referring to this Faustian bargain that, you know kishi made with the moonies when he was like yeah you guys will be the the anti-communist foot soldiers that japan needs he said of shokyo rengo the victory over communism foundation he said if if more if if many more japanese youth would be like shokyo rengo japan would have a bright future and he was an unapologetic booster of the moonies And their relationship with the Liberal Democratic Party was pretty symbiotic, okay? So I'll just read you a quote from this article. Kishi was embittered about being pushed out of office after only three years, and he blamed it mostly on communists. When Kishi paid a visit to Washington, D.C. in October of 1970, right around the time Moon came to the U.S., by the way, and met with President Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, he was quoted by the official office memorandum as follows mr kishi then commented that automatic extension of the security treaty had been accomplished smoothly with very little opposition on the part of the japanese people compared to 10 years ago when the red chinese had stirred up the sentiments of the japanese in in kishi's view the red chinese were the motive force behind the anti-security treaty protest of 1960 which had forced him out it's perhaps Mm -hmm. not so surprising then that when Kishi was introduced to the unification church founder, some young moon about five years later, their shared hardline anti-communist views allowed them to hit it off. And the connection would endure for generations. And so far historians and public records give us only glimpses of what happened in the following decades. Yeah. It's this weird karma thing where it's like you got into bed with the moonies in the sixties. And then like, You know, 60 years later, somebody that Kishi would have been so proud of, right? You know, like Mm -hmm. the best, the best, the brightest, the most dogged survivor, the LDP leadership ever produced would be gunned down over some Mooney drama. But maybe it's not mm-hmm. just simply that. Uh, I think I better yield the floor and let's get Fergal in here before it starts raining off. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, so you might say poetic justice in a sense. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's crazy. Or no, at least well, that's one interpretation. Is what we it's
1: one interpretation. But let me, but let me say this. The, the, the last thing I'll say on this. This Abe assassination, whatever the truth of it is, and we may never freaking know, it's going to be a chapter in the history of the Moonies forever. No matter who's right, no matter what the truth is, you don't get like Rachel Maddow saying Unification Church on the air, you know, just any old day. This is part of the story now. And it is, it really is some karmic weirdness that this black eye you see is going to carry. I mean, the Wikipedia page, it took days. They're like, yep. And then a Mooney shot Abe. (laughs) It's like, you know, that's now the, that's now the baggage that the Moonies are going to have like forever because of this. Now I'm done. Thank you. All right. First. That is
0: so it's wild. It's your turn in the spotlight, mate. So let's start with Abe's assassination. You live in Japan and you speak the language. So we want to hear your perspective. In your opinion, right. how was... is Japanese society coping with this historic event, sir?
2: Well, it's just as weird here to see the Unification Church all over the airwaves and the headlines and uh it's continuing even today you know there's a there's a program in particular Mianeya, which keeps getting uh quoted and screenshotted on twitter people are talking about it a lot uh which continues to talk about the unification church connection and i would agree this is a really really meaningful and interesting uh, part of the event uh there may however be ways to interpret it where The unification church, though, might be a distraction from some other things, right? At least the unification church that was run by Sun Myung Moon himself, right? Uh, And we'll get to that, I think, later, right? But uh, the day of, right? So I just suddenly heard, you know, uh, right about noon, didn't it happen? And uh, yeah, it's right about noon, sort of turned on. You know, I don't have a TV myself, but you can get the TV kind of on the computer. You know, and, remember this uh, is like your
0: uh, your the day Kennedy was shot thing. You know, or at least you know for, this is uh, the kind of thing. Generation, this is our like uh, kind of equivalent of like our nine eleven thing. Like, what were you doing, uh, recluse, when nine uh, eleven that was happening? Well, I was driving my way to community college, getting high in my car. That's what I was doing. So you always kind of have that special like memory as well on this one. For Absolutely.
2: I was, I uh, showed up to Hebrew class and I found out about it. Actually, that's what happened about 9-11. But uh, yeah, this one too, you just kind of, um, you know, so people all over the world, you know, you said there were a lot of jokes, people really got going riffing and joking about it. You know, you wonder if there's some kind of like uh signature reduction angle on that too. Was there something juicing that making the jokes um, from here? It's, I mean, it's funny, but like, it, it it's also scary for reasons that I think we've already begun to get into, right? And actually, being here, it was it was pretty scary. Uh, the TV announcers were just really freaking out. They're kind of like, uh, a, a, and that's where too we get into this kind of big change actually, which I want to highlight, which has happened in Japanese society since maybe. Uh, maybe 1970 would be a really good turning point, right? And you have there uh, things like the oh, I forget the there's like the United Japanese United Red Army, Japanese Red Army. There's different factions and stuff, and some of, one of them anyway, right? Has this incident in the Asama? It's called the Asama Sanso Jiken, the the Asama Mountain Lodge incident. Have you heard of this? Uh, They had uh, internal purges and stuff. And the first live broadcast in Japanese history was uh, introduced for that. They did like for 24 hours or something, just live broadcast about that and made sure that that was everywhere. Right. And that was really kind of the death knell of any kind of political organizing at that point. Right. Really started a, a great depoliticization of Japan's population to the point where today, you know, people are so conservative and and just talking about politics at all. People are kind of like, isn't that for really nerds? You know, I don't we don't have to worry wow. about that. Right. Uh, wh- whereas, you know, compare that to the kind of thing that you you were kind of talking about with like if there is a kind of uh, unusual role, distinctive role of public pu- public violence in Japanese society. It would be typified by things like the 515 incident, May 15th incident, where uh, isn't that the League of Blood, um, the one man, one kill, uh, right? right? And they kill a sitting prime minister and 90% of the Japanese population approves of this. That's, <laughs> that's a key thing to understand. They really sympathized. And this was, I mean, he was representing a certain kind of or, or pretending to or something. Um, riding away, to above. represent, yeah, yeah, might have been guided from above, but uh, representing <laughs> sort of middle class grievances against the uh zaibatsu and sort of saying, in the name of the you know middle class, let's take more dictatorial control, um, yeah, uh, away yeah, from uh, these
1: financiers and so on, right?
2: Typical story
1: populist anger via uh, submachine gun, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so,
2: you know, uh, contrast that, though, to today, uh, because when that happened, you know, the, the people on TV were all, I can't believe that this would happen in our peaceful country. We are the best um, of all possible know, worlds.
1: <laughs> we are
2: just we're a perfect country. No one ever commits any violence. No one ever disagrees with anyone else. We, do, we are. You know, the cons- it's and then they they quickly work in, uh, was this scripted? Well, is this just organic? Uh, they quickly work in like, oh, he's just like Putin. It's just like the shutting down public debates. There's this term Genron um, sealing off, chaining uh, public free freedom of speech. You know, I mean, that's the whole freedom of speech thing is not something that the Japanese right has really Done in the same way as the U.S., and I think that has to do with uh, neoliberalization being a lot later.
1: So, so can I can I ask you, like, what do but you yeah. mean by there's suddenly an outcry that they're going to clamp down on freedom of speech? Is it coming right after this? What's the uh, this act of assessment? assassinating
2: uh, oh. Abe was? This was on the day of, like, right in the immediate aftermath of it, they started saying. Um, to to shut down free debate you know if you disagree with abe's political views you should debate him in the marketplace of ideas you
1: should
0: because oh, abe
1: no longer has speech because he's dead and <laughs> these people are trying to shut down right got it yeah yeah
2: um because I, it, it so it was just this totally unthinkable thing um that political violence would ever happen in japan and i think that is the product of the 1970s shift and then the neoliberalization since the late nineties, early aughts. Right.
1: Well, that's crazy because if you study Japanese history from about a hundred years ago, it was like, it was uh, a pretty common
2: too, in fairness, but
1: yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there was, it was kind of a churning, you know, very high level body count during those days. You had to get with the programmer. You were out, Mm -hmm. out, you know,
2: well, and there were all different factions, though. Too, I mean, it was right. Yeah, exactly. Even exactly, as I say, the the five fifteen incident, killing it was the prime Turf minister, War. Right? <laughs>
1: yeah. and
2: ninety percent of people approved of it. I think that's a key. I think that's very dramatic contrast there. Um. So yeah, you got well. Uh, the early hours are really interesting to think back on too. Like it, it was totally looking like he was going to survive. To me, I was thinking. That afternoon, oh, he's going to survive. He's gonna Because there were pictures where on his right arm, there appears to be, there's something wrapped around his right arm underneath his jacket. And people were saying that looks like a stage blood pump that he's just pumping. And there's not enough blood. There's not enough blood, people were saying. Uh, some people also recognized a, a crisis actor who, I wasn't aware of this, but there's a, they had identified a certain lady that they call Haruyo. Uh, who has maybe also appeared in press photos connected to the nuclear disaster or something. And uh, they identified her as the woman who goes and crouches down over him in some of the photos. So these are some wild theories that were circulating online. Uh, Somebody also found, supposedly there's a screenshot where uh, the headline for his assassination is backdated two days before. Maybe the file was created at that time. Right. So in those moments, I was kind of thinking, oh, for the for the election, he's got, he, has he staged this for the election and he's going to survive. And then he'll, you know, they'll sweep the election and then be able to change the Constitution, uh, which is, a, well, isn't that another important issue? Right. Japan's Constitution was largely written by new dealers kind of for a kind of social democratic. Uh, right. Right. Uh, state that was uh largely designed you know, by like, new dealers <clears throat> we know about here, this like right in the
0: in the u.s like just to kind of point out like one of the sort of weird media things i can remember was the i guess it's almost like a novel at this point like with sam hyde appearance um you know it was on that uh he's kind of an alt writer it was on the uh one adult, oh, adult swim show i can't recall the name of it off the top of my head but uh, he seems to show, he's shown up in a lot of bizarre memes kind of related to this in uh, 2022. First, really. he goes to Kiev and then uh, with the Buffalo uh-huh. shooting that happened uh, a couple of months ago. And then uh, more recently with the Abe one. So it's kind of interesting mm. how like they keep trying to like have pictures of him showing up in all these different events.
2: There are definitely media personalities who are assets, clearly, and they appear... Yeah, Liana Wen is very famous recently, right? For being in uh she she was in the Boston bombing, Boston Marathon bombing. Uh footage from the, right? News footage. And then now she's doing all this uh stuff with coronavirus policy. So, there's something to that sort of thing, I don't know. Um but yeah, so maybe we should cover Japan's constitution, which is supposedly pacifist. Uh, of course, as Keith has already told us, uh, they've made tons of money uh, from the Korean War right away, right? And uh, the Vietnam War. And actually, that that Article 9, you know, the, the JCP, the Japanese Communist Party today, uh, constantly talks about protecting Article 9, uh, keeping the constitution Well, but uh, Article 9 was overturned by the Japanese Supreme Court in, like, 1947, 6, 7, with the beginning of the Korean War, uh, when America basically ordered Japan to create the self-defense forces. And the Japanese Supreme Court ruled that, yes, this violates the Constitution, but the Constitution of Japan is not as high a law as the U.S. Security Treaty and Status of Forces Agreement. So, it doesn't mean anything. They already said that then, so it's a little bit, a little bit funny to see all of that. Uh, nevertheless, of course, it it would be a very, and this was one of Abishinzo's really big goals in his life was to. He always said, you know, um, kind of owe it to my grandfather to overturn that Article Nine, or whatever. Uh, even though, of course, Koizumi, his predecessor, sent the the SDF to Iraq, and uh, Abe, what, I think it was under Abe, uh, that, uh, wouldn't it be wild if it was um, under the Democratic Party? I don't know this. Uh, but the JSDF has created their first overseas military base in Djibouti, right next to Somalia, where uh, the United States, now under Biden, has resumed their invasion and uh, got boots on the ground there again. Uh, they're fighting over oil. They're fighting over rare earths there. So isn't it funny? You know, I, I was a secure tempted... to
1: the the Persian Gulf, you know, the horn of oh, Africa. The, yeah. That yeah, too. It's, it's, it's all right.
2: Yeah. I'm always tempted seeing the JCP out on the street, you know, all sweet, uh, sweet old, old ladies, old men, uh, you know, and and they've been they've been supporting the Ukraine war more than almost anyone. Uh, interestingly, uh, they instantly came out hard, like yeah, no fly zone. We're gonna for escalating a war. You know, at the same time as they're saying uh, abolish or let's keep Article Nine. You know, defend Article Nine. Uh, so it's, yeah, I was always tempted to sort of say, well, uh, what do you think about the uh, American invasion of Somalia that just started yesterday? And that Japan's military may or may not be uh, directly participating in. They, they undoubtedly are helping with logistics somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, and if you don't know, why are you not interested, you know? So, uh, but that's obviously a huge issue. And now they had this election. And right after the assassination and everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be a huge landslide now. Uh, And they did indeed shorten voting hours, all different precincts around the country shortened. Uh, They were supposed to close at eight o'clock all around the country. And it's it's normally extremely easy to vote in Japan. There's none of this rigmarole about registering to vote. If you are a citizen at all, you will get everything in the mail. Uh, You can definitely go. No question, and vote. You can mail in the thing to vote. Doesn't matter. So, right. so who who drove that uh, shortened voting hours? So, who, whose idea was that? I don't actually know about that. They just suddenly announced that. I saw that because I mean, times. so much for freedom of speech, you know, and, and like I thought, oh, you know, you, you know what Here I'm saying. We like, yeah, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, however, uh, the as I understand it. I mean, of course, this Abe's government itself has been implicated in all kinds of changing of public documents to hide his wife's uh, involvement in this one right-wing uh, elementary school, right? They named her honorary president, honorary principal, and uh, Abe said publicly, if it's found out that any, she or I had anything to do with the founding of this school and with the sale of public land to them uh, for pennies on the dollar, for nothing. Uh, If it's found that we had anything to do with that, I will resign from public life completely. Uh, And various people in the uh, Ministry of Finance committed suicide. And then it came out that in fact, uh, they had changed documents and they found an original version that said, uh, yeah, we're definitely selling this for pennies on the dollar out of consideration for the uh, first lady, as you might say, right? And he was involved in squashing. He just crushed, uh, oh, what's her name? Ito Shiori. Ito Shiori, the, the journalist who was uh, allegedly raped by uh, a friend of Abe's um, and came out with all kinds of evidence. He's, and uh, the, it was, the whole thing was squashed and she was run out of the country. I think she's in the U.S. now. So all kinds of crazy corruption there, all kinds of, um, and it was a big scandal. People take a lot of pride in the uh, Japanese government being fair and being honest and having, you know, we take good data. I mean, obviously there, um, that's considered to be a natural, a national virtue. Um, you know, as somebody living in an, ordi- an ordinary life here, I, I can, I know all kinds of people who are not uh, human calculators or anything, but uh, you know, that's, People take pride in the accuracy of our data, but uh, the Office of Welfare, um, basically, was caught uh, fudging all kinds of data. So, you know, who knows about data, but uh, all this is to say the election results supposedly were not very different from what uh, pre-election polling suggested would happen. So there's that even though they did shorten voting hours. You you mean
1: it didn't even move the needle in any direction? That's what
2: those numbers would suggest. Um, They still, I mean, they won the two-thirds majority that they need to change, uh, to not change it, but to to have a public referendum. But they can fudge a public referendum, I uh, would imagine. I don't know um america certainly spent lots and lots of money to to throw japanese elections and italian elections and german elections and um if they weren't able to throw those elections then they wasted a lot of money so it's uh that's the that's the shadow hanging over this you know i mean i I think um the yeah maybe i'll say this now this seems natural uh so uh Ukraine is happening, right? And it it seems like American officials are being very, very open about the fact that they're looking for the Ukraine of East Asia. The only play that they have now, especially that Ukraine is not going well for them, is to start another front over here. However, it's way harder to find a country that is quite so, you know, just one country that would be willing to throw itself. onto the gears in, in quite that way right or under the under the juggernaut <laughs> um,
1: yeah it, it ain't gonna eat. be japan anytime soon they've been largely you know demil- i mean you're like they have one base now in Djibouti. like what you know
2: yeah but well but they're basically using all of the american bases and they're by you know it depends how you measure it but by some measures they're sixth It's the sixth largest military in the world. Um, You know, the Israeli defense forces are also just called a defense force and it's not supposed to be an army, but like.
0: Yeah, and then I mean, also too, you know, you have the the kind of presence of the Australians and New Zealand over there too. I mean, if you kind of throw that in along with, uh, because I mean, Japan Japan has like a fairly, I mean, it's not not technically a Navy, but I mean, it would be at least a fairly decent size one. I mean, you throw in, I mean, mean, they just call it, They call it the sea,
2: the sea based self-defense forces, but, um,
0: you know, the Aussie equivalent. I mean, obviously the Brits, I mean, have still a bit of a presence over there, too. I mean, along with the American fleet, you're talking about a pretty substantial naval presence. uh, They could use, you know, Japan uh, as a staging ground, uh, to rally, like a lot of this stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, I think there's. Yeah, some legitimacy to that. And I mean, it's, uh, again, you know, interesting in light of the fact that they are potentially going to have another big naval build up if Pelosi does go through with uh, that visit to Taiwan. So
2: that's the thing to say, right? Mm -hmm. Next is that Pelosi is going to Taiwan and Newland is in Korea now i think she was just here in japan because i mean it's like Uh, you know i mean
0: too especially with like the dynamics in the pacific i mean it would be you know i think there i mean the navy would really be at the forefront i mean much more so whereas i mean obviously with ukraine that's more of a land war and i mean that would almost be the case inevitably with anything with russia even though it granted at this point it is moving a bit into the black sea but i mean anything in the pacific Mm. would just be you know the navy would be central to it and, and probably the marine corps as well So. And they have big naval drills
2: with uh, joint naval drills in Korea and in Taiwan all the time. And they've been ramping that up, uh, explicitly saying we're going to ramp this up in response to uh,
1: the situation in Ukraine. This all sounds like a really cool Axis and Allies game. I'm just going to say, you know, when when (laughs) stacking all that kindling wood, when it finally gets a match put to it, it's going to be a mass casualty event. It's going to be bad.
2: Yeah it's not too fun to be here and think about this right like what kind of uh also what kind of mass casualty event could could justify um the hurdles getting over the hurdles that need to be gotten
0: over for yeah, instance I mean, a recent i, I yeah. mean because i think in some ways too you know i mean to kind <clears> of <throat> just to return the, the naval power thing but i do think in the you know the part of like the western elites who are probably uh pushing a lot of this to the japanese uh counterparts i mean there's the perception i mean china's never really had a significant naval force for several hundred years now i mean yes they have this this huge army and a lot of these state-of-the-art weapons but i mean we still have this massive naval superiority uh that we can bring to bear in the pacific so you know you you really don't have to worry they're they're never going to be able to uh, overcome that hurdle and actually get to uh japan proper (laughs) Mm, Uh,
2: i wonder I guess we'll see. Uh, the, the US Navy had, it, w- it was a while ago now, but there were instances of them sort of when they actually did have to drive their own boats, they were running into each other and things like that.
0: Well, I mean, I also, too, I mean, it depends as well. I mean, just in how advanced some of the Chinese intercontinental ballistic missiles have become and that kind of thing. I mean, it could make, I mean, a lot of the naval building yeah. superfluous. So
2: I, I, I just think want a lot to. of our ideas about about like how a war would go uh, these days seem to be uh, pretty outdated, right? I mean, I, I was thinking in connection with the recent Top Gun movie, you know, it's so funny to see this kind of chivalric jousting in the sky, which even during the Cold War was not really what happens. What happens is bombers go and and burn, blow up civilians, you know, that's what you're actually doing. Uh, and yeah, now well, not when, you don't not even need the guys Russia. in the plane. Yeah, now you don't even, you just throw a drone into the sky. And it can go and do whatever you need it to do.
1: Yeah. That's why the, I mean,
2: yeah, the F-35 boondoggle was kind of, is kind of this weird like relic of people still wanting to have some place for a pilot to sit.
0: Oh, I mean, just the whole thing with like the aircraft carrier in general. I mean, you know, really those things are just, they're like, I mean, dinosaurs from World War II. I mean, again, you know, I mean, within, against a modern military like Russia or China, they're sitting ducks out there. Uh, I mean, just again, from like intercontinental surface-to-air missiles. Even, I mean, it's just
1: yeah the, yeah. the fact that we're even talking about this right now, seriously, is terrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's terrifying.
1: <laughs> um, we're, my we're only we're consolation... board right now. This is this is good.
2: But, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, my could... my few consolations is that Korea uh, and. Uh, Taiwan are way too sort of um, savvy to really want to provoke what America is really trying to get them to provoke. And I think if there is some larger angle to this assassination, uh, I think that's the kind of strong arming that we're seeing there, you know, Uh, and uh, because, okay, I'll say one more thing. And then maybe that's where we should transition into talking about the evidence that's actually coming from the assassination, right? Uh, One more thing would be that uh, Korea, for instance, there was a recent poll, Uh, what should Korea do if America just suddenly on its own starts fighting, starts a war with the North of Korea? Um, And people in the South of Korea said, uh, nearly half say we should defend Northern Korea from America. And like 30% said we should attack Japan. So this is not a country that is uh,
0: going to do what a, a Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, if you've uh, ever spoken to like any kind of US <laughs> military personnel who's served in um, South Korea, they will tell you that um, they are not especially fond of Americans. Uh, yeah. yeah,
2: they're more woke <clears> to <throat> sort of, yeah, the, the PSYOPs are not as successful there by a couple of orders of magnitude. Yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. Japan, it's just... And they feel um, they feel all of the resentment that they should maybe feel against the US, against China. You know? They've had a rough century. <laughs> yeah, truly, they have. Yeah. Confused.
0: Um, for, well, for, Very dazed yeah. and
2: confused, most people. For, and and are we... we are... As we are dazed and confused about this assassination.
0: Uh, for, before it, we uh, get into the assassination yeah. proper, was there anything that you wanted to add about the uh, the Moon organization as it's known around these parts and uh, the connections of the official story and how it's all uh, being covered and anything like that? Um, Just maybe
2: until I was thinking, you know, the angle of the, the special guest at uh, Sean Moon's all right, all speech right, all right, all right. that he gave we'll, in Japan, we'll uh, which later, by the way, then. he does, he actually says, I listened to a japanese voiceover of his korean which tends to be you can translate kind of word to word for word between those two languages usually and he's, he actually comes up and says uh this is why mother died so he's he's saying that she's dead um and you yeah. can't accept the fact that she's in hell is one of the so, things that he says
0: yeah i mean that's also kind of at that yeah it's like really crucial to all of this because i mean that's probably Mm. going to really yeah open up like i mean the floodgates the claimants for the leadership of the moon organization which again i mean even though it's not talked about a lot i mean it's usually depicted as a more marginal organization now which it is but it it still has a lot of freaking money i mean this is why you still see yeah major u.s politicians making pilgrimages to it but anyway okay so let's oh and the, into... oh, the, that
2: does remind me of one more thing the the level of integration with the ldp is really amazing and that is coming out all over the press and that you know Again, I I have my suspicions about there might be a weird reason why that's happening. And I think we'll get into that a bit later when we talk about the special guest who is present at that speech that Sean Moon just gave in Japan. But uh, for example, one detail that I saw recently is that any elected official who belongs to the LDP has to uh, get a certain number of new members of the LDP party members initiated uh, or pay a little bit of a fine to the organization, and when they can't meet that number, they pad their numbers by just asking the Unification Church, the Moon Organization, to get a bunch of their members to just become LDP
1: members. They have and, uh, the uh, Japanese politicians. <clears throat> uh, you know, you're talking about like paying back favors, like make your make converts. You know, if we do favors for you, you know, you help us grow yeah, our church, just, whatever. Um, the, the politicians have, uh, I've read somewhere have been required to go, you know, receive teachings or at least go to some of these seminars themselves. Uh, yeah. which is really interesting. It's like you, if we're going to do this for you, you got to do a weekend seminar with us. Just come hang out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Eat the, some donuts. The head maybe, of... we'll, maybe we'll lock you in a closet, give you some donuts, you know, you know, I don't <laughs> know, just have a good time, you know? Yeah. All right, so getting into uh, the,
0: the official story about Abe's assassination, it was I was kind of getting into the beginning. It's highly problematic. I mentioned a bit about the press conference in mm-hmm. the onset, but for can you really break this down for us? And what are some of the other curiosities surrounding Abe's actual shooting, quote unquote, as a young Yeah, so he
2: word. was shot and and he was helicoptered to the nearby Nara Prefectural University Hospital. And uh yeah, he, he, he was, his, his lungs and his heart were stopped at that point. He had no pulse and no breathing uh, already. Uh, however, they tried to revive him for about five hours. And I think it was something like 5.03 p.m. Uh, right after Akie, his wife, arrived from Tokyo, uh, that they finally pronounced him dead. And then a press conference was given. Uh, by the doctor in charge of the efforts to revive him, whose name is Fukushima Hidetada. He's professor of emergency medicine at Nara Prefectural University Hospital. And that happened at 6 p.m. that night. Uh, you can see a, v- a full video of this is up on YouTube, posted by the Asahi newspaper. And uh, yeah, I have translated it, and it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, so you saw... The- Maybe we should talk about what does the video show?
0: Go for it, sir.
2: Yeah. So what is the video show? We see Abe. uh, There are multiple videos that show um, similar things and stuff. I mean, it shows the same events, basically. Uh, The first boom sort of happens, and you see white smoke and a little bit of wind. Uh, And Abe sort of jumps. He looks back over his left shoulder. So he turns his left shoulder back toward Yamagami. Uh, who is this disgruntled former Mooney. Um, and uh, he, and he had this right homemade shotgun, um, which... yeah, so he turns his his shoulder back and then his right shoulder is facing forward uh, toward his front. And then, a moment later, We get uh, on... People say now that they can see two different black dots on two different frames. Uh, You can see them against a kind of tan building that is uh, in the background. And then suddenly his collar just moves very dramatically, you know, like 10 centimeters or something like, uh, you know, six inches or something suddenly just jerks open. Uh, and that's accompanied on the audio by a, a softer kind of crack. And a moment after that, we get Yamagami's second big boom from his boom gun, and Abe is already falling. So, people have commented on this. I mean, is there anything else from the video that we should add? I think that's it, right?
0: I think that's good. Uh, do you want to get? So that's in- what the to the uh, yeah the that's what the video the, shows uh, the doctors who had tried to save abe
2: and then fukushima this doctor who was in charge of the efforts to save abe right um yeah this press conference i don't know how much of it you want to get into it's really um his his opening statement is uh, so when he arrived he had two bullet wounds and considering that he was not breathing and had no pulse due to damage to his heart and the aorta in our unit we performed hemostasis was trying to clip his veins you know shut and a large amount of blood transfusions but unfortunately the result was not fortunate Um, and what he says is that he had two wounds on his neck Um, and he points to the base of his neck um, right in the middle at first the two wounds were located in the center and slightly to the right they were extremely small in size that's interesting too extremely small in size I noticed that this time Um, Could you tell us how deep they were? I think it's safe to say that they went deep enough to reach the heart. We get So there's other questions, too, that I didn't translate. Um, Things like, you know, how long were you trying? What were you trying to do? Did you think there was a good prognosis of saving him? Things like this. Uh, You get this guy from NHK who's who's, uh, a little bit um, going for the dramatic angle. He was like, what did you feel to see those bullet holes fired from such close range? Did you feel... A, the, the murderous intent of of the shooter. And he's like, well, all I saw was the wounds that I saw. So I don't know anything about that. Um, and they ask, were the bullets still in the body? That's when fun. we were operating on him, we were unable to find bullets. After that, we, uh, after this, we may go on to learn more, but in the course of our operations, we didn't find anything. So I translated that that way. What he actually said was, uh その後, uh choto. Uh, and then he, he starts over, right, And says kongo So sonogowa it means after that. Choto means like a little bit. You might even know this word. Um and it it could have that could easily be the beginning of a sentence where he says something like, after that, somebody did notice this, but right? Uh, he doesn't go anywhere with that. And he starts over with um, after that or after this. He, he says that we may go on to learn more uh, after this. So make of that what you will. I don't mean to overemphasize that. Um, of the two wounds, which was the fatal one, you know, this is he doesn't know, but uh, what he finds is that they definitely did bullets hit his heart. There was a big hole in the wall of his heart. Uh, it was specifically in a ventricle, which are the part of the heart that is the bottom of the heart. Okay. Um, and then after that comes out, let's see, is that all the important? And, and people just keep asking again and again, you know, it goes on and on, different journalists asking. So let me get this straight again. So the, the, the holes go in from his neck And it hit his heart so what direction were the bullets going right and he says well i think it went in this direction he traces across his chest from his neck down to his heart moving down uh yamagami if anything as lots of people online and and irl you know people who are um thinkers that I have talked to uh, also have these, these deaths as well, but, you know, he was standing a bit up on a dais or something. He's, he's taller than Yamagami Abe is. And so if he was actually shot by Yamagami, first of all, uh, the wounds would be in the back, but, uh, oh, and there we can get a a direct quote. Um, Were the wounds on the front of his body? Fukushima says, yes, on the front of his neck. He had no wounds on the reverse, including his back. And he specifically uses senaka, which means the word for like your back, back, not, not just the back of the neck, but his back. Um, so both shots entered from the front. And are you saying one came out the left side? Oh, yeah. He also said there's an exit wound apparently on the left. Um, I said he was hit in the front, but the angle at which he was hit is a separate. It, it could have been from the side, uh, but the wounds were in the front and the apparent exit wound was that on the back side of his left shoulder, and he says it was on the front part of his left shoulder, and that that was interesting translating this. I heard this for the first time. Or, yeah, uh, front. This word front, you know, I, I was confused. I asked Japanese native speakers. Right? Um, should I understand this as ventral, like your belly side, or should I understand this as anterior, as opposed to posterior, toward the head? Um, so he keeps saying left shoulder. It says front. Um, the consensus is that I should interpret this as ventral. So, you know, maybe just barely toward the front side on the right shoulder or the left shoulder. Yeah. So, well, then it must have traveled sideways across the body. I don't know that. All I can say is that there were wounds that might make you think that. Uh, right. So it comes in the front, goes out on the left. There was a large hole in his heart. Did it hit his heart and come out the left? People keep confirming this, and he keeps on just basically saying, yeah, that's, the, that's what it looks like, right? Mm. And I think, are those the important? Uh, oh, and finally, somebody checks. By his neck, do you mean the bullets entered from above the clavicle? Fukushima, they entered at a height above the clavicle, yes. Wow. Was there any damage or anything to the clavicle itself? Not to the clavicle, I don't think so. That's important. Uh, as well because the next thing to discuss is that um, apparently shortly after that at 10 30 p.m an an official legal autopsy of his body began and it lasted for six and a half hours no one has ever seen this report of this autopsy we only have the police just kind of unofficially telling journalists as they often do even in america uh, just feeding them this information about what it said Now, what they say that it said is that uh, Abe was shot by Yamagami into the left shoulder, and that bullet traveled under the clavicles across his body, striking both of his uh, big arteries in his uh, chest on each side. Uh, And there was one bullet hole in his neck, uh, but not two. The second one was something else. Uh, and they don't say anything else about the bullet holes in his neck or how they got there. Just they're saying what was on the left was an entrance wound. It came from Yamagami, went across, and that's what killed him. It was blood loss from that, internal bleeding from that. Uh, they also, when you really get down to it, it's interesting because there's, there's almost no evidence that Yamagami was actually firing bullets at that moment. Because somebody else was hit. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna.
0: You know, what about the weapon? Is that it's, issue? It's, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't a conventional gun. Then what? I mean, what are some of the speculations in your pan in regards to like what it might have? You know, actually killed Abe.
1: Well, it sounds like it wasn't the duct tape fallout pipe pistol. That's what I'm getting I, from this. You
2: know, the the police in talking about the autopsy, they make sure to tell you as well that a campaign vehicle that was about 10 meters behind Abe with respect to Yamagami was struck by a bullet from Yamagami's gun, but they opened the crime scene at five o'clock that night when he was declared dead, basically. And they didn't even start to examine it until two days later. (laughs) And then they claimed to find things from Yamagami's gun. Uh, They also, the, the day of or the next day, uh, very quickly, they discovered holes on a unification church in Nara there and said, oh, Yamagami practiced with his gun that morning
1: on the unification church. and that This I mean, is the Muhammad like they, Atta's uh, passport found in the burned car bit, right? I've, I've seen right? this one. It doesn't... <laughs>
2: It doesn't really? directly prove that he was shooting anything at that time, but if you didn't think about it too much, you might have, take that as proof. Oh, yes, it's a real gun. Oh, She's bullets. Yeah. All right, just if um, I could
0: interject here for a moment, like one yeah. of the weird things, and this actually I just kind of noticed this like last night, ironically, when I was uh, having film time. It This almost sort of bizarrely models uh, the plot line of an uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from '96 called Racer. Uh, where there's this, like, uh, miniature, like, railgun, kind of like a (laughs) handgun design, they can essentially uh, target, you know, any part of the body from, like, outside of a house or something like that, essentially, there's, like, no way to dodge the bullet, but yeah, I mean, it's just, when I heard the whole thing about how the bullet had entered, the alleged bullet had entered the neck, and then it ended up going into the heart, I mean, It does almost make you think that it was one of these, you know, I mean, quote unquote, non-lethal weapons or something like that. Um, I mean, the Schwarzenegger film is interesting, too, because it uh, deliberately plays into the whole saga with Jared Bull, uh, Gerald Bull, who was involved with the whole Iraq uh, super cannon thing, the Project Babylon. It's uh, been talked about a lot. There's a belief he might have been assassinated by Israeli intelligence, even working with the South Africans, though, lots of other stuff. Uh, the british uh, it's you know this is all part of a big scan on the late 80s early 90s but um again you know there was speculation for years that they've been working on these kind of real gun technology i mean obviously these would have been like big cannons for space stuff it was based on harp and whatever you they could uh I mean, almost theoretically hit any target on Earth. But I mean, again, you know, what if they were trying to also develop smaller models or something Mm -hmm. like that, uh, which was sort of what the storyline around a racer was based around. But I mean, just looking at this, though, I mean, you were almost like, well, I mean, gosh, this is just almost like this kind of technology that they were speculating about. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, where you would have these you know, bullets, I mean, or something to the effect projectiles, essentially, that uh, could, I mean, hit any part of the body uh, from different locations when they were fired or something like that.
2: The, the yeah, the holes were extremely small. That's interesting. I should also say uh, the autopsy report itself has obviously been foia uh, and but it's it's being withheld uh, until September, they say they're not going to show anyone that That um but that too is not very convincing because why is there a big hole at the bottom of his heart uh if there was a bullet from yamagami that traveled across his shoulders under his clavicle makes a lot more sense uh that a bullet was coming from above uh the first thing that i and many other people are are saying is uh snipers on the roof but uh, it could be a drone, you know, you think about it these days, you could just have a drone and have it fly right away. I
0: don't know. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point as well. Um,
2: and would yeah. they have bullets that would disappear? I don't. Yeah. That's kind of the know. other
0: thing is, I mean, the fact that the bullets, I mean, at least so far haven't been, I mean, obviously we um, might have our own little magic bullet moment in the future for Japan. Well, they'll just, you know, kind of suddenly, um, uh, turn up maybe at, like, a, another unification uh, church locale or something What like that. <laughs> uh, what do... What, uh, what
2: do uh, they have these bullets that sort of break apart in the body and explode. What What is that called? Armor-piercing rounds or...
0: Yeah, but I think they would have found, like, fragments or something from that. Plus, I think they do quite a bit of, like, damage, too, to the interior. I mean, from what I it sounded like it was pretty smooth until they like right got right into the heart or something like that. It was, just it was very strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the doctors seemed genuinely shocked or surprised by what they were looking at as well.
2: Yeah. And he, you can feel him toward the end of it as he keeps getting asked again and again, he, he starts hedging more about like, well, you know, maybe if a specialist uh, presumably a specialist in shootings, um, uh, bullet wounds were to look at it maybe they would come to a different conclusion i'm just i don't know i don't know just a little country doctor you know
0: all right so so, yeah uh, let's uh, let's talk about yamagame the alleged assassin for a moment he had a relationship to shaman's church as you've been uh, talking about so can you get into that for us now
2: Isn't that strange, right? I mean, everyone is talking, including today. This is the thing that I want to point out about the the media coverage, you know, I mean, it's nice that they're talking about the Unification Church, which is something that nobody knows how deeply connected it is, you know, people kind of in the know, like I had heard about Soka Gakkai, I think they're branded in English as like SKG, right? Uh, and skg international uh, did electioneering for the Cometo, which is kind of ldp's sort of liberal branded coalition partner that sucks up they were sucking up anti-war votes uh they were even uh, anti-nuclear votes as well they came out against nuclear energy and against uh changing the pacifist constitution but then they just funnel all those
1: votes right back in this is one of the factions of the liberal democratic party you're talking about. It's a separate party.
2: It's called Komeito. Uh, oh. And it's strongly linked to, to SKG Sokagakai and Sokagakai does all this electioneering for them. There are any number of these, right? There's lots and lots of different, um, you know, Nippon Kaigi could be seen as a kind of Shintoist. Uh, yeah. Version yeah. of this, right? And there's there's kofuku no kagaku, the happy science, is another one that's big. and Yeah, and you know, like the, the new religion movement
0: before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, different
2: kind of new religions or quasi science organizations.
0: CPAC, uh, I think conference like last year or something like that, if I remember correctly. I think that's actually oh, okay. like another. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not speaking, I think they did. That's like another political cult that they've uh, been kind of reaching mm-hmm. out to. If I'm not, the Americans, that is to say, uh, um, especially mm-hmm. kind of the Trumper faction in the Republican Party. I think in recent years in Japan, a cult that they've been kind of uh,
2: playing a little footsie. Happy group. science.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do believe so.
2: Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't
0: surprise me. Um, uh, yeah, I had mean- a chart
2: that I sh- I sent Keith that that shows all a- Abe's fourth cabinet, and every member has ties to multiple new religious organizations like this. Uh, so, you know, it's really cool that that's all coming out on the news and people are talking about it. Uh, I think latest, latest, uh, didn't I see that? Uh, oh, I wanted to say um, Nino Yu, I think is his name. And he's the head of the koan. Koan are like the Japanese FBI, secret police kind of. Um, the head of koan gave like a uh, mc a weekend long retreat for the Unification Church current head and there's a discussion of like the time when the unification church changed their name uh, the head of the ministry of education which which handles the registration of religious organizations uh, was a closely Mooney connected person at that time and there's FOIA requests trying to get these documents and it's just completely blacked out pages are coming out right now about that wow yeah so that's all really cool to see yeah but hey you know this yamagami yes he left the unification church but yamagami also uh is a member of sean moon's church which in in japanese it's called sanctuary uh interestingly it's it's this english it's called sanctuary Uh, rather than rod of iron i think the whole ak-47 image wasn't gonna like Tell over here
0: by the way i just want to confirm yes happy science was an attendee at the uh, 2021 cpac uh, conference where what is it i yeah. think their leader believes he was a uh, descendant from a space alien or something to that effect um uh, i was around a uh, lot of uh cpac interns i was at the yeah. nation summit so yeah that must have been a glorious experience for them no doubt
2: um yeah so so yamagami is a member of not unification church but sanctuary or rod of iron So, what does that mean? Is all this attention, all this attention to the the kind of old version or the older branch of the Moon Organization, if Rod of Iron is uh, the actual kind of active branch of this now, or is is at least angling to become so? uh, All this attention on the old branch. I watched the
1: videos, man. I watched those videos, and and you just to interject real quick: Is he going to Korea? no he's going to japan hmm. right yeah, that's, yeah. Where, that's that's the church's power base so just mm-hmm. just trying to drive the point home here you were saying absolutely absolutely
2: i love that and listening More through the wackle to do, it's series the too <laughs> yeah that's where the, it's not yeah, just the I, money
1: it's where the members are you you were yeah. saying
2: yeah there's so many members actually it's turning out right there's so many members in the the political machine is very they've got a real kind of boss tweed
1: kind of relationship
2: with the LP. yeah you know the
1: the the republicans here you know they haven't required being moonies for like 40 years <laughs> yeah sorry that's a dark humor anyway
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean
2: that's right i mean well you have like they the had their time society, of doing that you know, that, but, you know yeah. it's been a while <laughs> that's right and the tea party you could see in the same kind of thing um this is a common thing Right. And I think they're retconning, they're retconning practices by people that are actually trying to make the world a better place and, and liberate themselves and so on. Right. And twisting it in, in all these ways. And that's a tradition, that's a technology that has been developed uh, in many places, many imperialist structures, right. Conglomerates. Uh, and listening to your Wackle series, it was really coming out the parallels between Ukraine and uh, the South of Korea. Right, you actually have, in some ways, some of the the most uh, effective, dangerous operators are these kind of colonial, uh, you know, sort of. Yeah, they're on uh, the line uh, of
1: contact. It. Yeah, it's underlings. It's a breed. Yeah. yeah, when you share a border with the big communist enemy, you're a different breed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you're asking fighting in World War II. I mean, also, too. (laughs) On one side or the other. I mean, Moon had been a prisoner of war, um, I mean, as well during Korea. And then, of course, uh, again, another one of the things that Don had been looking at uh, as well uh, shortly before his uh, passing was the possibility that Moon had also uh, worked directly for the Japanese during the Second World War as well. So that that sounds totally. uh, Yep. yeah you so, were
2: i mean I at mean, one he point he was maybe talking yeah. a
0: lot of this kind of imperious fascist you know indoctrination of the japanese and then conversely he'd also seen uh, the kind of communist parallels firsthand as well so i mean you could wouldn't see- have been the first you know but uh, <laughs> yeah. i mean especially why he would have had the same kind of fanaticism for instance like the ukrainians uh, like Stetsko, and uh you know some of the other hmm. guys that bandera had you know that kind of thing
1: there's a book that about bandera that's like it the word cult is in the the title of the book i can't remember the title right now but you know it's just mm-hmm. about the myth the legend the man you know bandera and uh describes it in those terms and so anyway just seems to yeah. seem fitting to say it you know
2: yeah yeah i i think a lot of times, you know, in the, the post-war image of of South Korea and of uh, Japan, often show has very little. It will give you very little of a sense of what Imperial Japan was like. Uh, which in Imperial Japan, especially Korea, was very actively being culturally annexed to Japan. Workers were going back and forth, mm-hmm. and workers are going from both places to. The various frontiers where you could give, you know, unemployed workers free free land stolen from uh, the indigenous people there. Man, Chukov, yeah, yeah, uh, and there would have been people all over. So you know, sometimes I'm I'm not sure. There were moments where Don Diligent was saying, uh, so Moon was in Japan at this time, and that um, it may really well suggest that I think he was collaborating. Uh, however, just him. Just him being in Japan wouldn't really well trust me, uh, Don had a lot he, sure
0: more. Did. he there, sure There's did a lot later. more on this yeah. that's never been made public. Uh yeah, as sure you know, enough. But uh trust me, like there he had much yeah. more than just what's been revealed thus far.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I think- don't know what a, a good analogy would be if, you know, because the the Nazis didn't have a thing where Ukrainians or did they, where where Ukrainians get to adopt german culture and become really german and yeah that
0: is true the ukrainian i mean that was one of the reasons why really they clashed a lot with the nazis because i mean they weren't really on with the whole aryan supremacy thing obviously i mean they were still very fanatical about their own culture and i mean really kind of had their own sort of like budding fascist movement that kind of developed uh uh, independent in a lot of ways of nazism so yeah i mean it's not the best analogy i mean it's really hard to find like a similar one Uh, which i mean i suppose is one of the reasons why the the unification church was ultimately such a potent anti-communist force uh because potentially because of this you know strange lineage that it had in the beginning with a founder that had been subjected i mean both to these you know fascist and communist regimes and then i mean potentially also i mean uh looked at from some of these behavioral studies that the military was doing during korea as well and just, you know, I mean, all the implications of these things, which I mean, I suppose is why we, I mean, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of other groups and whatever you looked at, but maybe this didn't surprise us as to why uh, the Moonies were the ones that ultimately uh, kind of emerged from the pack and are still with us all these years later. And, you know, even see this. Uh, right. Well, I think recall. you are
2: showing uh, something here. You're uncovering something here that the standard narrative of the post war really hides. Uh, Which is that there was this enormous uh, effort to homogenize and to assimilate Koreans into Japanese society, and all the colonial leadership. Um, You know, a lot of people might even know that the Americans to create the ROK sort of took all the old uh, colonial Japanese leaders, leaders of the colonial Japanese puppet state, and used them. But Ri. yeah, yeah um you that people might know that but but you might not then that might not color your analysis going forward of everything else that that relationship is
1: still there hey it's how about there. Uh, Even, how about yeah Chang Kai-shek can we can we throw him in there yeah as a collaborator <laughs> sorry um yeah read those read yeah, those well there was uh, the white group right uh just just Nicole. just Chang and the nationalists in general is anyway
2: in the post-war anyway, uh, they I mean, he was supposed to be fighting the, the Japanese at certain times, but um, I know you less know, about that myself, but, but is the white group protecting right?
0: his opium? I or, or mean, you know, that was um, that was generally what he was fighting for during that era. Uh, you know, okay. I, I know
2: from um, Barack Kushner's work on the um, sort of war crimes trials and the settled post-war settlements. Uh, that the um, Taiwanese, the Chiang Kai-shek affiliated war criminals in particular were very quickly pardoned and then just used to train guerrillas to train the Japanese SDF in the post-war uh, mm. in sort of counterinsurgency techniques and things. And that was, that group was known as the white group.
1: Wow. I didn't know about that.
2: So there's that. I mean, yeah, these they still have their subordinate Sort of colonial, um, you know, right-hand men. What would you say yeah. uh, there? And and Moon was maybe one of those. Maybe that's the best way to understand that. Even though you have this kind of coding in the post-war, there's a term de- re-Japanization. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> Re-Japanization of Japan by the American uh,
1: forces, right in
2: the in the post-war. Um, to sort of erase the traces measured,
1: uh, measured nationalism, uh, a kinder, gentler nationalism. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and uh, actually, um, what it shows is that what you had in the wartime was not nationalism. It was imperialism. Japan was an independent national, uh, imperialist power. And that, that point is something that the American establishment has not wanted to, to front end, you know, that's why you get words like, uh, militarism always used they're really cagey about you ever using the word fascism because of the uh origins of that word in in a critique of capitalism when capitalism is breaking down You get this right um an empire response to the
1: failures of capitalism as was pointed out in the uh farms series on international fascism yes you were saying yeah yeah
2: absolutely so um you're you're ahead of uh most academics on on this question i'll say Uh, in seeing that
0: is there anything else here with like sean moon's church because as we're kind of talking about i mean this is all fascinating because i mean on the one hand there is this kind of it seems like power play the mooney organization again you know like i said before they're still very wealthy they still have access to a lot of major american politicians and as i had alluded to at the beginning i mean it's important to emphasize that sean moon here in the united states has been cultivating a lot of these people especially in the trump wing of uh, the republican party which is you know really essentially become the republican party now more or less but whatever uh so yeah i mean this is the guy that was there on january 6th i mean i, think I talked about before i mean he's been setting up this whole compound in waco uh, it's <clears throat> um you know, he's definitely, I think, setting himself or trying to at least set himself up as some kind of a player and uh, doing it at a lot of these very uh, charged areas and so forth. I mean, certainly just the the optics the guy is using, I mean, is really, uh, I think, intended to kind of cultivate, I mean, alt-right uh, kind of image and so forth. It'll be appealing uh, to them exactly the sort of base that they're trying to put around the Trump faction and so yeah i mean it's going to be really interesting to see how this develops and certainly terrifying i mean if he does get anywhere near the uh the moon war chest yeah what Uh,
2: do you think
1: could it be i don't i don't know how much difference it'll make at this point but i'll tell you this the, the the mooney relationship with in american politics in in the united states was cemented you know under nixon you know 1970 you know and then through the years the rest of the nixon administration i mean the moonies were staging these like sit-ins and fasting and praying uh for nixon to prevail during the Watergate stuff i know this is kind of like i'm probably repeating myself the stories that have already been told on some of these but you know they really went all in for nixon you know and they ingratiated themselves in ways that would lead to the korea gate scandal uh with Democrats and Republicans in those days through the Koreans through Thompson park, whatever. But in the next administration, you have uh Roger Stone, right. The uh, you know, kind of cut his teeth with, with all that Nixon plumbing and whatever um, you know, he goes on to, you know, be in the upper leadership of like Nick pack. Um, that's the, the father of the conservative political action committee it was kind of a, post-YAF conservative supergroup um you know so he was big in the leadership and conservative politics and was a an activist through all that you know time and and you know the Moonies were getting their teeth into the United States at the the welcoming of the upper levels of our government at this time and uh and here it is like you know decades later and it's like roger stone's getting ready to have another tattoo this one of trump and somehow the moonies are involved again yeah <laughs> it's just it's just weird watch being being old enough to just, or whatever to like watch these like comets coming back
0: oh yeah well i mean also too i mean with wow. the whole ukrainian thing, the, Spectre, <laughs> the oumb but um you know another uh analogy too that i wanted to draw on like right quick is kind of related to recent events i think are also like what had transpired in Saudi Arabia um, over the last couple of years, because, I mean, really you saw kind of a covert coup with uh, the faction of the Saudi Royal family that had uh, historically uh, been very closely tied to the Bush wing of the Republican party events the you know, kind of neocon, neoliberal establishment in the U S basically pushed aside uh, by MBV. Or, oh my gosh. I can't remember who the new crown prince is. Uh but anyone, I, yeah i can't remember if that's or if it was the Muhammad there's also salman. the amount of arab image rights guy that might be mdz so yeah i think it is actually yeah mohammed bin salman is the uh the saudi one mps who again was a big trump supporter so <laughs> it's you know again i think you know you might see maybe a little bit of those sort of like uh palace intrigue maybe a play with the whole thing with mm. the moons here and Sean moon. I mean, again, it kind of seems like you have these uh, kind of younger members that are more closely aligned uh, with Trump who are trying to push aside the uh, kind of traditional alliances that would have been enjoyed with the, uh, you know, kind of neo-con or neoliberal factions. And I mean, it kind of seems like that, Right. Uh, you know, play right. Into like what you were getting into with Abe's, you know, Abe himself as well being gunned down and what have you. I mean, they're trying to, maybe get a more aggressive breed uh in there so to speak uh-huh. wow that's mm-hmm. an
1: interesting thought you know he he is the uh the the poster child for all of that the right of the last 20 years the iraq war neocon coming out party
0: Because, like i was saying at cpec you know in 2021 i mean they have happy science there i mean who knows maybe they're even like bringing in another cult possibly to kind of feel <laughs> him out a little bit like oh see you know I mean, yeah. maybe the maybe moon he's getting all along in the tooth Look, what do these guys got to offer us so i mean now but and what, and what
1: better sh- way to do it than to throw him under the bus as the so, path I mean, for Abbe's Shedder, assassination you
0: know mortal coil Shot right moon he's smelling blood everywhere i mean you know maybe he sees himself as a new mbs or something man wow hmm. Virgil, I mean, yeah uh of M- speaking M- of
2: mbs the One of the few other Japanese citizens to appear in the Panama Papers uh, type, uh, di, di, uh, di, what um, what do you call it, uh, the Panama Papers, uh, was Son Masayoshi, who is ethnic Korean originally, but a Japanese citizen, uh, who's a real big player. And during the whole WeWork collapse, when WeWork bought up all of this real estate right before coronavirus and then... Uh, collapsed allegedly due to very incompetent management. He <laughs> negotiated another huge infusion of cash uh, into them from Saudi. Wow. So Masayoshi did.
0: Yeah, Whatever I mean, that's it's worth. definitely, you know, again, I mean, in this, you know, should point out, I mean, this is just sort of a part of like a broader international coalition. I mean, it's not like MBS or MDZ and the United Arab Image Rights, I mean, aren't backed by again, I mean, other factions, I mean, across the world, obviously, they've got the Trump support here uh, in the United States. And I mean, uh, certainly I'm sure there are other ones. And that's you know, probably a good example of, uh, I mean, how all of this is sort of interconnected and sort of broader uh, Game of Thrones yeah. presently playing out, so to speak. Because again, I mean, it's it's obviously not Japan, you know. I mean, Boris Johnson uh, was just removed in the UK, but bless his heart, he might end up being the uh, head NATO, apparently. That'll be glorious if it happens. Oh, but, uh, let us play the French. We'll be able to stop that. Um, and then obviously the uh, the Italian uh, leader was also recently disposed as well. So, um... all,
1: all of these people are crazy
0: and old.
1: Hmm. Like, all of them. Shinzo Abe was 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 old at least some of the ldp people thought he was old you know he wasn't their first pick yeah and that last thing he kind of got forced into it because there was nobody better the gerontocracy Mm -hmm. with nukes uh the march towards something continues good lord
2: (laughs) yeah all of these things are things we have to think about if
0: it's there's like
2: snipers on the roof. Oh, good. The totally.
0: drone. Or I mean, yeah, this is, you know, like I said, this is the real life game of thrones playing out before our eyes. I mean, this is how significant this time in history is. I mean, you know, we need yeah. to. Uh, stay on top of things guys i mean when you're seeing you know not just one i mean multiple heads of state or former heads of state still significant political figures being toppled or even assassinated like this it's a especially within the western coalition quote-unquote i think it's a sign that things are not going very well among the uh the quote-unquote allies and uh right uh, that could lead to some desperation when it comes to dealing with um their you know enemies uh both domestic and uh, abroad so Uh, But anyway, Fergal, do you got anything else on the geopolitical implications? Do you want to add here before we sign off? That's
2: kind of it, I think. I think that's, you know, when you, when when it, because it seems that we have some kind of uh, extremely small bullet, right? Extremely small bullet holes, uh, which go from the neck down into the heart. Well, then, yeah, that that, does that mean it, it looks like it's bigger than just Yamagami and yamagami himself being uh connected oh well the other thing did we say this yet i think we didn't say that okay sean moon gave this speech oh, yeah, throwing yeah, down yeah. the gauntlet uh saying uh, sort of staking a claim on the on the whole moon organization on june 29th abe was assassinated on july 8th
1: so not barely a week you know yeah, that's, that's kind of important data point. I, I don't know. Since the Moonies are, w- yeah. since we're already talking about the Moonies, this seems to happen yeah. pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I don't think we said yet, uh, there was a special uh, guest in attendance at that speech. And that was none other than Yamagami Tetsuya. The video of that speech afterward, Sean Moon goes and lays hands on Yamagami and prays over him. Well, well, uh, yeah. well. Screenshots from this
0: video.
1: Ain't what that, that some mean? Shit?
0: <laughs> so once again, is there a power being made in the Moonies at a time when Sean Moon goes and says that his mother is dead and in hell uh, before? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and is
1: Shinzo Abe and the LDP a casualty of that struggle?
0: yes these
1: are all that's questions. crazy and it just kind of wraps up the whole thing that we've been talking about like why are we even talking about the moonies it's like it's not it wasn't my idea
0: <laughs> i thought it was I nobody mean, really wanted to talk about the movies keith it's yeah, just they yeah, found it a way to be headline news. news again for god's sakes
1: right right it's, it's it's just really the oddest thing to have been like studying all this and then just having written it off like yeah it's just mm. the past and then it's like back in like the worst way
0: <laughs> i mean hell and then you've got like a, a former lecer cal chairman who was in charge of like the uk's vaccine response under bojo not him um how's Haza, or something like that so yeah i mean it's just like all these groups you know that we uh have kind of academically researched in the role in the cold war lecer cal wackle um probably some version of the american well i mean essentially you know you have the victims of communism thing which is kind of like the reincarnation of a lot of this insanity here in the u.s but yeah I mean, all this stuff it, it's it's coming back in a big you know way a shocking way which is, should be terrifying to people. It really and,
1: and they all seem to agree on one thing we're, we're all going to get nuked you know that that just seems Ugh. to be the direction you know like i'm, I'm not too far from a, a you know a base that's i last i checked was on the top 10 you know i'm hoping i won't be uh walking Mm -hmm. around with a fallout pipe pistol uh you know (laughs) but my god bojo in charge of nato are you trying to get us turned into dust what the hell man yeah uh, you know i'm sure it'll all work out but my god
0: let us pray man i mean that's really (laughs) let us pray all right, Fergal, before we sign off, why don't you tell the kids at home about your, uh, your podcast, sir, and anything else you want to plug here?
2: Yes, sir. So I do a podcast called The Kingless Generation on the deep history of class struggle, paleo-parapolitics, and mm. the demonology of capital. Uh, my Patreon is patreon.com slash irregnata. Uh, that's unruled in Latin, feminine, singular. Uh, so sign up to be a patron there. But yeah, first, give us, give us a listen. Check it
0: out. All right. Well, I want to thank you gentlemen again so much. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a wonderful chat. I mean, I think everybody is uh, going to enjoy this. And uh, please, guys, you know, uh, share this as much as possible if you can. Uh, Again, I think a lot of this information is important. and needs to be. Reach is broad of an audience. I'm not trying to try be you know arrogant about this, but I do think we've got some really great stuff here that uh, I mean a lot of people need to hear and kind of understand the geopolitical implications of what is playing out here. It's very crucial for what's going on right now in the world. And uh, yeah, well, night. With that, as always, I will uh, sign off for now by saying good night and good luck to you all.